This week on Geek Explained, special guest Kanan Bachtel returns to the podcast for a spoiler-filled discussion on The Last of Us Part 2. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about The Last of Us. Uh, specifically, The Last of Us Part 2, which I don't know if you've heard, uh, released recently and basically set the entire internet on fire. I have been waiting to talk about this game at length for a while now. And so I partnered up with Good Brother and returning special guest Kanan uh, to basically just go over a full-on spoiler-filled review for the game. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this. I'm really excited to share this discussion with you. We had a great time just getting into the nitty-gritty of the game, talking about expectations, talking about gameplay, talking about all of the things that happened in the story that I just, ah, I couldn't wait to talk about. So that is our main segment for this week. We also have the latest weekly review on the newest episode of Doom Patrol Season 2, and of course, this week's Comics Countdown. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, let's talk news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. No film or comics news this week, but we've got plenty of news on the TV and miscellaneous fronts. So we're going to kick it off with miscellaneous news, and this is all video game news. Lots of video game news to talk about. Uh, first off, one of the, I think, most anticipated PlayStation 5 reveals uh, this year was uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which is going to be dropping uh, this holiday season. Cannot wait to play this game. Uh, the team behind it, Insomniac Studios, released the official box art for the game, uh, which looks, I mean, really clean, really, really good. It's basically what I can describe as like an upgraded version of the original game's box art, which I know some people would say is boring and this, that, and the other. I really like the simplicity of it. Uh, the original Spider-Man PS4 is just a red background, the logo, Spidey doing his thing. And this... Uh, this box art for Spider-Man and Miles Morales is very much in that same vein. Similar pose, uh, just kind of jumping off with a web. Miles in his amazing costume that they tweaked and redesigned a little bit for the game. And he's got, he charged up his uh, his little Venom Blast with his right hand. So I'm really excited about it. Like I said, it looks super clean. Really, really simple. And I like that. Um, I can absolutely appreciate when a game uh, box art cover has like all of this amazing like Infinity War looking poster qualities to it but I also really like when it's really simple and just kind of pushes the idea that this game is about Miles plain and simple 
So I really liked it. I think the box art looks really good. Also, this past weekend, we got the Ubisoft Forward event, which it seems like is going to be kind of the way uh, game developers are going to be going and releasing stuff going forward, which I guess is smart um, with the lack of Comic-Cons this year. Uh, we are having to, and E3s as well, um, we're kind of having to adapt and game developers are having to figure out ways to get all the info out to people so that they know exactly what they're going to be doing when it comes to the game. So I'm really... I'm really liking this because it feels like every like couple weeks or so, a, a different company is like showcasing their their wares. So I really like it. And this past weekend was Ubisoft. Uh, they showed off a bunch of new games, new gameplay, graphics, all that stuff. But there's four that really caught my eye, and so I'm going to talk about those. Uh, Watch Dogs Legion. This has been in the pipeline for a very long time, and was the game that. Everybody got super hyped about when they first announced it because the premise was essentially you can make any, literally any NPC in this game your playable character, which I thought was a really cool idea on paper. And seeing it in practice, I'm still interested, but there's a lot of tweaking that's going to need to be done before the game releases, especially with all the stuff that it's trying to promise. Uh, we also got the first look at a new game called Hyperscape, which seems to be Ubisoft's answer to Fortnite, I guess. Um, it's a Battle Royale-style game, a lot of the same uh, components as Fortnite, but for me, it's just not something... I've never been a huge fan of the... Um, of the Battle Royale style games. So, though I will say, uh, Fortnite's new Captain America skin looks really, really good. Um, it's, it's you know, there's going to be an audience for it, and I think it's good to get in on the uh, Battle Royale game while it's still popular. But, again, not really for me. Uh, the big two announcements for the, uh, for the event were Far Cry 6, finally giving us a full-on uh, cinematic trailer, uh, showing off Giancarlo Esposito, who is just an incredible actor. He is everything and everything he is in, and I I am very interested. I've never been a uh, Far Cry guy, but I'm interested if he is on board, and the setting looks really interesting. It looks like it's in Cuba um, during some kind of revolution that's going on. I'm interested. And they also dropped a release date for Far Cry 6, which is going to be uh, February 18th, 2021. So a little bit away, but that'll give them time to kind of flesh out what exactly to expect when the game drops. And then for me, the big thing this week, the big... Uh, big announcement big thing i was really hoping for for this event was more of assassin's creed valhalla assassin's creed valhalla is the latest in the assassin's creed franchise and promises a full and complete viking experience not unlike uh, how black flag was to be a full and complete pirate experience and how odyssey was supposed to be this greek um, or this ancient Greece experience with Sparta and Athens. And it looks real good. It looks real, real good. Um, you can tell that they're using a lot of the same uh, building blocks as Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which makes sense. They really put their time and effort into it, so not carrying over some stuff when it comes to that would be, I think irresponsible but it looks gorgeous i mean it's gonna be released on playstation 5 playstation 4 uh xbox series x xbox one and stadia um 
it looks really, really good. The landscape looks gorgeous. The combat looks buttery smooth. You can dual wield, which I'm really excited about. We've seen, like, little things here and there about, like, having a shield and a sword in uh, Sans Creed Origins or having two short blades in Origins and Odyssey. But here, they are giving you full options on dual wielding with whatever weapons you want. If you want to run around bashing people with dual wielding shields, feel free. And that is something that as a Captain America fan, I will be taking advantage of. Absolutely. Because I just am a child, I guess. Uh, it, again, it looks really good. It looks expansive. It looks huge. Like Odyssey huge. And Odyssey was a huge game. Um, it also, they touched on not just the combat, but some of the story. Story looks great. Um, a lot of the gameplay, like we're going to be going into England as well, which I think is really cool because they have their own tensions with the Vikings. Uh, you get to build up your settlements. You get to do hunting. All the stuff that you uh, had in previous games. It gave me a lot of uh, Assassin's Creed 3 vibes. I don't know if that's a good thing yet. We're going to see. But I am, I'm hyped. I'm hyped for this game. Um, it's still... I'm still waiting for it to feel like an Assassin's Creed game. Um, the main complaint for a lot of people ever since uh, the announcement, really, of Odyssey is that they're getting away from what made Assassin's Creed Assassin's Creed, and they're almost um, making a whole game and then slapping Assassin's Creed on it just to make sure it sells, which I don't think is the way to go personally, but again, I am interested. I think that bringing in the Viking IP is going to be really, really cool. It's going to get a lot of people to buy this game. Um, and I'm hoping that it brings together an experience comparable, if not hopefully better than Odyssey. I enjoyed a lot of a lot of pieces of Odyssey, but the parts of Odyssey that I enjoyed most were the parts that harken back to what I loved about Assassin's Creed. Um, Odyssey is a great game for, you know, ancient Greece RPG, but if you're looking for something that pushes forward the story of Assassin's Creed, you don't find a whole lot of that in that game. Um, I will say there was a moment during the uh, gameplay where uh, while in England, your main character, whose name I'm blanking on, um, uses uh, social camouflage, which we haven't seen, God, since, um, uh, I would say probably, when was the last time we saw social camouflage? I don't know, but it's been a while. Um, to avoid, like, English guards, and I really appreciated that. I was like, okay, there's, they have some things about Assassin's Creed here. So I'm also hoping that with it being a little closer to um, England, uh, which, of course, was the setting for um, Assassin's Creed, uh, what was it? Syndicate, one of my favorites. Um, I'm hoping that we get a little bit more Assassin's Connections here, but Ultimately, we'll just have to wait until the game comes out. So that does it for the uh, miscellaneous news. Ubisoft did say that they're going to have more Ubisoft forwards going forward, I guess. Um, so we'll see more stuff as it goes along. And they, they also dropped a uh, release date, November 17th of this year. So um, again, I'm excited. I'll be picking it up for sure. Moving along to TV news. We got three pieces, three big pieces of TV news. We're going to start off with Disney Plus. Disney Plus announced a, new, a brand new animated series to uh, join up with the successful animated series of in the um, uh, Star Wars universe. 
and that is the Bad Batch. This is spiraling right out of, or spinning right out of the uh, season premiere of season seven of The Clone Wars, which introduced the Bad Batch. That was the first arc of the final season and introduced us to a merry band of flawed clones that each have their own unique stuff. I kind of got the feeling that they wanted to set them up for more stories, especially when they had Echo join up with them at the end of the arc. Um, and it looks like that is what is going to happen. We're going to have a whole new series, probably completely voiced by D. Bradley Baker. Because <laughs> he voiced all of the clones. And if it's going to be all about him, it's I think that's awesome. I met D. Bradley Baker. I worked with him a little bit in a uh, voiceover class. And I thought it, he's a great guy, has a lot of good insight, and he's a hell of a voice actor. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, they've basically, they've put out a synopsis and basically what is happening is that they, and I am way more excited about this than the initial like, oh, we're going to get more uh, stories about the Bad Batch during the Clone Wars. This is immediately post-Clone Wars. Uh, the Bad Batch is dealing with the fallout of Order 66, um, and we are going to see exactly what happens to them following the Clone Wars. Uh, this is an interesting, I, th I think it's a super interesting idea. Um, it makes sense because the Bad Batch being who they are, they wouldn't, they might not necessarily have gotten the, um, chips implanted into them. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to, I, this is, you know, the immediate aftermath of episode three is something that we don't really see a whole lot. We're slowly like filling in all the blanks between episode three and episode four, which makes me sad because I mean, that's probably the most exciting era of all of star Wars. I'd have to really think about it. Um, at least from like movies perspective and all of that. Um, but it isn't really touched upon, you know, immediately following Order 66, the conclusion of the Clone Wars. So I'm interested to see what they do here. Interested to see if we run into some familiar faces. I'm sure we will. And uh, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it for sure. And then jumping over to Warner Brothers and uh, DC, two big pieces of news. Uh, we officially have our next Batwoman. We've been waiting for this announcement ever since they announced the departure of Ruby Rose from the show. And we have our new Batwoman tentatively named Ryan Wilder, though I'm hoping they change that name. And it is Javisha Leslie. Uh, she is a black actress who has been working for a while. I wasn't super familiar with her work, but she's been on shows like uh, God Friended Me, a lot of like CW-esque shows, and I'm excited. I think bringing in a black actress to be Batwoman is going to be, I think it's a great step forward and does a lot to diversify and really um, flesh out the new Earth Prime that the CW is operating out of when it comes to their DC TV shows. I think it's a really good idea. Um, she looks stunning. Uh, like I said, I'm not super familiar with her work, but um, I think this is a great step forward, and everyone is opening or is uh, welcoming her with open arms. So I'm I'm interested to see what she does. Again, they got to change that name. I don't like it at all. Um, we'll see though. We'll see. And then also bat news. We had an official announcement from HBO max that they are developing a brand new series set within the DC universe, specifically Matt Reeves, the Batman's DC universe. And it's going to be a show about Gotham city. And it's going to be a show about the Gotham police department, uh, GPD or what I'm hoping that they call it is Gotham central. Um, is going to be spinning off of the uh, 
Matt Reeves' Batman film and is going to be tackling, you know, life on the ground. They've talked about uh, rumor is it's possibly a prequel, possibly happening alongside the film, yada, yada, yada. Um, I know a lot of people have said it, and I think it needs to be said. We already got this. Uh, that is the uh, the Gotham TV show, which was uh, a mixed bag if ever there was one. Uh, but I'm hoping that with the C or the the CW with the HBO uh, backing behind it, and hopefully, fingers crossed, they get uh, Jeffrey Wright to lead since he is Commissioner Gordon in this uh, in, on this Earth. Um, that he'll be able to lead this show, especially with a lot of other HBO shows kind of nearing their twilight years, um, and Westworld kind of. I'm not sure exactly what they're going to do with it next. Um, Jeffrey Wright is a hell of an actor, and he is going to destroy this if they uh, if they actually end up having him lead the show. I'm hoping we see some Harvey Bullock, uh, some Jim Corrigan would be great. Uh, but the two main people that I really want on the show are, of course, Renee Montoya and, fingers crossed, Detective Ellen Yin. If you aren't familiar with her, she is from the Batman cartoon uh, that I recently was re uh, reintroduced to by a great video from uh, Brown Table on YouTube. If you haven't checked it out, check it, check it out. I remember watching the cartoon when I was younger and absolutely loving it. And Detective Ellen Yin was a big part of that. So hopefully we get to see her along with the entire uh, GCPD on display and telling stories that hopefully only HBO can. Though it does make me a little frustrated that we haven't heard anything about Green Lantern. Um, Green Lantern is celebrating its 80th year or his 80th uh, anniversary since he was um, created this year. So if there was a time to make an announcement, whether it be casting, whether it be talking about what the show is going to be about, it would be this year. I know a lot of things have been thrown off when it comes to uh, production because of COVID and all the stuff going on with that. But we need Green Lantern stuff. You announced this first and we need to get this rolling. So, um, but setting that aside, I'm really excited about this announcement. I'm really hoping that um, we get more of a fleshed out universe here. I like what I've seen so far when it comes to the Matt Reeves Batman. I'm hoping we get more fleshed out, uh, a more fleshed out Gotham, more fleshed out characters. And I like that we're going to be having, you know, we don't normally see this where a show is kind of a companion piece to a film. It feels like when they do, you know, the Batman comic book and they have detective comics kind of tie in and fill out some of the world or you just look at Gotham Central the comic series it's a fantastic book and they would uh they would be in the right if they decided to pull from that so overall really excited about that uh, really excited to see more of all the stuff that we talked about but that is going to do it for this week's news and we are going to roll right on into the main segment of this podcast the entree if you will which is a spoiler filled discussion with Kanan Bakhtel on The Last of Us Part 2 I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and I fear no evil because I'm blind 
to it all in my mind my gun they comfort me because I know I'll kill my enemies when they come We're talking Last of Us, Last of Us Part 2, the game that figuratively and possibly literally set the world on fire. Um, everything is burning, people are going to war over this game, and so I figured, let's talk about it. And joining me on this spoilerific podcast episode is returning special guest and good brother, Kanan. Kanan, how are you, brother? I uh, I am doing good. I'm excited to talk about this game that has consumed my life for a week and a half. Yeah, so how do you feel about talking about this game even though you've never played it? <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I imagine that there are some people, and they're all that are left. Um, you know, from what I've seen of the trailers, there seems to be more people in it than I would expect based off of yeah what are two i feel like like i've never played it so um i don't know i'm excited to just talk about what we think probably happened yeah uh you know it the same as anyone who decided not to finish the game and decided to be mad instead (laughs) (laughs) let's just suppose what the second half of the game was let's just make it up let's just guess people won't know not everyone (laughs) or you could be like those terrible people who just looked up leaked spoilers and just decided not to play the game at all i'm looking at you how do you feel about that how do you feel about like because i'm sure you were aware when all the spoilers dropped or the leaks came out like a month before the game was supposed to come out and everyone was like oh man i'm not gonna play this game now how did you feel about that well i mean i i'm big about not wanting things to be spoiled you know, I Same. I just I don't have interest in knowing everything about a thing before I participate in it. You know, um, so all of that went around and I was like, oh, damn, I just I stayed in a hole the whole time. Um, <laughs> just, you know, trying to make sure I didn't see anything because I, I, I don't know, like knowing what the story is actually now. I think having, like, just this reel of everything out of context would have made me furious, not having played it for myself. You know what I mean? And, like, I'm glad that I didn't, and I got to, like, be there for the roller coaster when the roller coaster wanted me to be there, if that makes, you know, sense. No, absolutely. And I think um, something that I've heard a lot and something that I absolutely agree with is that you have to play the game if you're going to talk about the game. Like, if you just, even if you just read the story spoilers or whatever, it's not the same as experiencing it as, like, as this incredibly epic story. And, like, I I genuinely believe that even if you, like, went on YouTube and you were just like, oh, I'm just going to watch the cinematics, it would not be the same experience. Because this game really is an experience. It's not just like, oh, it's, you know, it's a jump and shoot game. Yeah. Like, it's not... <laughs> It's not something that you can just hear about. You have to experience it, and then you can make your opinions one way or the other. Um, But before we get into Last of Us Part 2, I want to talk to you about Last of Us Part 1, just to kind of set the stage for everything. It's hard not to talk um, about one without the other. It's it's, it's true! You can't in a vacuum. Yeah, and I mean, for me, like I have made it very clear on this podcast before, I came to the game incredibly late. 
incredibly late. I played it for the very first time this past February. I'd never played it before, and I very quickly, through playing the game for the first time, realized what the hype was about. I was somebody who, like, I didn't watch any of the story spoilers or anything like that, even though the game's been out for, what, like, seven years at this point? (laughs) I was like, I'm going to play it at some point, and I don't want to spoil myself. I'm just going to... I'm going to experience it when I experience it. And I finally did. Now, were you someone who played it on PlayStation 3? So, I never had a PlayStation 3. Um, When the 360 came out, I was Xbox for, like, a long time. And um, eventually, I reached this point where I just couldn't stand not being able to play the game anymore because it was on a different system. And, um, you know, I borrowed my father's PlayStation 3 for, like, maybe two weeks just to play The Last of Us. Like, I played it at his house, and I played it at my house. I just brought the PS3 with me so I could keep playing it. And, um, you know, was absolutely, you know, blown away by it. And, you know, the, the last quarter of that game is probably what, like, sells the the storytelling like the most and that was it that's you know i played it i gave it back to him wow good and you know last of us 2 becoming you know like totally coming up by surprise it's like all right that's coming out like now um i bought the remaster on ps4 like a year and a half ago and just hadn't gotten to it so you know i recently replayed through the whole game and got to play the dlc for the first time like i finished it like two or three days before Last of Us 2 arrived at my house. (laughs) Like rereading a book before its sequel comes out, you know? Or watching the the previous season of a show before the next season comes out. Oh, yeah. Like, how did... When you you played it for the first time, um, what were your, like, overall experiences with it? How did it make you feel? Like, because the ending, I think for me, as someone who came into it super late, that ending blew me away. The ambiguity of it, the fact that Joel kind of, and I'm just going to, I guess, put a blatant spoiler warning in front of this. I'll probably put a spoiler warning in front of the actual, like, segment, but spoilers from this moment on. Um, I was really intrigued by the decision to essentially kind of make Joel the villain at the end of the game. How did you feel about that? Like, what was your experience with his relationship with Ellie? All that stuff. Well... You know, the first time playing through it, um, you know, I probably empathized, you know, with Joel a lot more than I did after it was done and after getting to play it the whole game for a second time, you know, because I think the first time I went through that hospital, like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm getting, oh, I'm getting Ellie back. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I was so invested in what the character was feeling that I didn't really stop to think about, you know, anything except for Joel. You know what I mean? And the the thing that, you know, you realize that when you finish it is that Joel, if anything, is the deuteragonist. And that, you know, ever since that segment where you're alone as Ellie fending by yourself like it really becomes clear that you know she is either the deuteragonist or the protagonist you know herself um that this is this is ellie's story as much if not more than it is joel especially once we start to like make that transition at the end and you know playing through the game 
a second time. You know, it's uh, Joel is not. It's hard. He's not like just a straight and narrow good guy from the inception of the game. You know, like when you guys are, are leaving and you're playing as Sarah, you know, Joel is leaving people behind and, you know, is singularly focused on him and the people that he loves. And, um, you know, he closes that part of himself and he doesn't feel those things. And then he does again over time with Ellie and like how that story is told over a length of time. I mean, it's just, it's, that's good fiction. That's some storytelling. <laughs> but, you know, the second time through, like, it's just, God, like, I just felt terrible for the last, you know, 20 minutes of that game because it's, you know, it just... It, Joel is a man that hurts and is hurt for a long time. And the only way he knows to not hurt is to hurt other people when they threaten what he loves. And, you know, everything Ellie was working for and El everything Ellie wanted, you know, she just, she didn't want to see, you know, another, you know, another friend get bit and get infected and die when she's over here with her survivor's guilt. Like, what is, you know what I mean? Why am I immune? You know? And it was her one chance to, you know, have some, some, some divine purpose. And, you know, Joel takes that away. And, you know, I get why he does it. And I'm not saying I wouldn't do the same thing under his circumstances, but what he does is callous and brutal and, and, and evil and ultimately is in disservice to everything that Ellie has worked so hard for, you know, because Joel can't watch somebody else go. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think um, Joel is one of the most human characters I've ever played as in a video game um, because he makes some fucked up choices here and there. Like he's not, like you said, he's inherent. He's not inherently a good guy. He is, you know, there's that classic... <laughs> Yeah, he's a human per he's a human being. We're not all inherently good all the time. And there's that that classic scene where him and uh, Ellie are driving in the car and like the injured guy is like, "Oh, help me." And Ellie's like, "We got to pull over." And he's like, "He's not even hurt." And he yeah. like rolls over and he fucking guns it. Guns it. Um Joel is a survivor. Joel is a person who has lived through a lot of shit. They make that abundantly clear, like, during that winter scene, or during that winter saga, where Ellie gets kind of captured by the, um, by the cannibals, and Joel wakes up and he has to go after her. When he finds those two members of the cannibal group, and he is just, like, using some pretty, like brutal like black ops torture tactics to like get information out of them that was kind of the first time where i was like whoa maybe joel isn't as like he's not as good a person as i thought he was and you re you recognize that like he has a past he talks about being a hunter before he talks about him and tommy like tommy leaving to go join the fireflies and the fucked up shit they did for them um so the ending of that where he basically decides to doom the entire world off this um, off the possibility of having a cure that would save everybody because he doesn't want to lose the closest connection that he's had since Sarah is not only a huge subversion of expectations and that's that seems like a really like played out trope now but in 2013 not so yeah and <laughs> It also, it really reframes that entire game. Because like you said, like, uh, Ellie, especially when you take part two into account, this is really Ellie's story. 
and Joel is more or less kind of along for the ride here. Uh, the first half of the first game is just like he's just trying to like drop her off somewhere and like things keep happening it snowballs to the point that they're now traveling across the country to get her to these people who are supposed to be able to help her create a vaccine and in any other like on paper story somebody tearing through a hospital's worth of people to rip away the one chance at a cure and killing the person who has sacrificed so much to make that cure possible it absolutely paints Marlene and the Fireflies as the heroes and Joel as the villain. But as we see in connecting to Joel throughout the course of that game and growing um, not just into learning about him, but learning about the relationship, it's much more complicated than that. And the very end of that game where Ellie's like, be honest, tell me that everything you've said, you know, is true. Promise me. And Joel lies to her. And that's just kind of where the game cuts before, yeah. you know, we get the DLC and everything. Ooh, I was shook. I was is... absolutely just, I can't believe he did that. But because at the same the time. it doesn't end like that. Or at, yeah. At that point for me, I'd never played one that ended that way. That allowed ambiguity to to be its, like, last note. Like, I who knows? Maybe. Like what, like, what happens there? And that was, for me, um, the thing that made me cautious when they announced the second game. Or I guess when, when they announced the second game, I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, when I finished playing this game for the first time back in February, I set the controller down, I let the credits roll, I let the feeling kind of wash over me, and I thought to myself, why are they making a part two? Because the ending to this is so perfectly ambiguous that it just, it lends itself to never answering that question. Like, does Ellie ever find out? What repercussions does Joel have? Do the fireflies, like, fall apart? Like, what goes on there? Um, and for me, as the credits rolled, and then afterwards when I played uh, the DLC, which is a perfect prequel to this game, it is an incredible little story where you not only cover Ellie during those winter months trying to take care of Joel, but also you learn about her um, her friendship with Riley, how she got bit, and all that stuff that kind of got the ball rolling for her. I thought to myself, I don't need a second game. Why are they making a second game? And as the release date came closer and closer, I thought to myself, they the one thing that they need to do to make this game work for me is they need to justify it being made. Now, those were kind of my expectations alongside, you know, like graphical and gameplay and stuff. Um, did you have any expectations going into part two? Well, um, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't had any trepidation since they announced, um, The Last of Us Part Two. I think because, like, ever since playing it the first time and getting to the end, I've been like, oh, I, what's gonna happen when Ellie finds out? Like, when, you know, because I know that she knows that he is lying, like, on some level. I mean, it's a shitty lie. <laughs> first of all. <laughs> Joel is not a very good liar. <laughs> with a lot of holes, but, you know, like, she's willing to accept him at face value, I would imagine, in part, because, I mean, what else is there but a lot of hurt? You know what I mean? And a lot of questions that you want to know the answers to, but you really don't want to know. And you can kind of put two and two together. I mean, like, what 
no one was, uh, no one took issue with you leaving with me. Like, <laughs> but like, I've always kind of wanted like, okay, well, where's that comeuppance? Like, where is that? Like, I want, I've always wanted to know, like as perfectly ambiguous and ambiguous as that ending was like, I've always wanted more to that story. And for a long time, I thought like, I was like, I don't know. Is this, is the sequel going to be hunting Joel? Like, <laughs> Oh like, man! You know, I you know like what is it going to be? And I think the time if and if there was any hesitancy to wanting the sequel, I think the thing that sold me was that trailer. You know that they released some time ago, where at least playing the guitar in a just a house full of brutally dead people. You know, and and Joel coming in and her saying like, you know, it won't be done until I get every last one of them. And like how like ah, because they've just. Naughty Dog just, like, threw us all for a loop. Like, I know people are mad because they were surprised, I guess, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Like, we should have just known exactly what we were going to get before it happened. Like, we shouldn't have, like, we should have known about Abby and, like, you know, like, they shouldn't have lied in a trailer. Like, here's my thing. I'm upset when they lie in a trailer when it's like, look at this magnificent game. It's beautiful. And then the game ships and it's like, did you make this on an Xbox? Like, <laughs> you know, like in, in the early two thousands, like that's the kind of, but like lying for the sake of a story so that it's shocking. And you know what I mean? Like to me, that's like being like, well, why didn't we know baby Yoda was going to be a thing? Huh? Why'd they hide Baby Yoda? I didn't <laughs> sign up for Baby Yoda. You've surprised me and I'm mad. Well, and like for me, I'm someone that, again, I despise spoilers. I don't like going into something knowing everything that's going to happen. That was, and I remember us having a conversation about it when it came out. The second trailer for Batman v Superman was so frustrating because they showed doomsday they showed every big beat that was going to happen in that movie and i'm like i don't even need to see this movie i know what's going to happen um and for me like they to naughty dog's credit they pulled some mcu bullshit with their trailers like having scenes and characters that are definitely not in those scenes yeah. um the the prime example is that moment at the end of, I think it was the second trailer, where um, you're going through the neighborhood as Ellie, you get a hand over Ellie's mouth, and she gets pulled back to avoid being seen by this, um, by the, who we come to know, or the WLF, um, and it's Joel. And he's like, you think I'd let you do this on your own? And everyone was like, oh my god, it's Joel, like, he looks amazing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then oh, man, that scene happens... That scene happens in the game, and it's Jesse. Yeah, and, like, oh it's God. one of those things where I was like, they purposefully messed with stuff in, this, in the exact same way as they purposefully messed with scenes for those Infinity War trailers. And it worked to perfection because you were, even though, even if you watched the trailers, you were still surprised. And I loved that. Um, I was really hoping that they were going to throw curveballs and give us twists and turns because that's what made the first game so incredible to me. I knew like a couple different things going into the first game. Like, you know, oh, there's going to be like these weird zombies. You're going to be with you and a girl and she's the cure and you're going to be traveling. But like 
all of the stuff, like meeting Bill, like going through Bill's town, finding out, you know, Joel's past, the fucking, the opening of the first game. Like, it's so well done from a narrative perspective that I wouldn't want to know anything. And so going into this game, my expectations were just, they need to justify the fact that they're continuing this story. Because I loved the ambiguity of the first game, and I didn't, unlike you, obviously, I didn't want the answers. I was like, I am fine just leaving this, leaving it where it lies. Um, So now I guess with expectations and everything rolling into the game the first thing i want to talk about is the gameplay because that's something that i don't think people talk enough about um the story is this incredible thing and we are going to get to the story do not worry dear listeners um but i want to talk about the gameplay because it is buttery smooth like especially when you compare it to the first game the first game had great gameplay But there were certain things that definitely, especially playing it as someone who played it for the first time on PS4, I was like, okay, I get it. It was play. It was made for the PS3 way back in 2013. Like I get it. That feel incongruous. Absolutely. Any any of the platforming stuff is just. (laughs) It's it's like the platforming from Kingdom Hearts One. Like you know the direction they were going, but they did not give you the tools to accomplish it. And so coming into this game, I was like, I really want to see what they've done to enhance the gameplay. And oh boy, did they do that. Is there anything from the gameplay that stands out to you? Well, you know, especially having played them back to back, um, you know, I, the first game, like, I love the gameplay. But, you know, the the thing that, okay, this this point is dual fold because I feel like there is a case to be made about in some ways The Last of Us 2 being easier, so to speak. I've heard people that think on a gameplay level that it's easier than The Last of Us. I think that's true. I think there are some reasons why that that is more a level of perception than a direct one-to-one, you know, like this game is objectively easier than the other. And I think it's because of the freedom of traversal and the tactics that you use. Because as gritty and as real and as visceral as the first game tried to be, um, and succeeded in a lot of ways, a lot of the combat encounters make me feel like I'm in a roller skating rink. As far as, like, the speed and the method of travel, where everything's just, like, clunky enough that, like... I still feel like I'm playing a game, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, in the second one, I mean, it's just like, you know, even something as simple as being able to go prone makes the game function on, you know, like you have these, uh, I'm moving my hands apart, (laughs) gesture, Um, because we are a audio audio platform (laughs) (laughs) um it adds all of these layers like literally like where you can be physically where you're shooting from where you're building from where everything that you're doing like you just there's so much more freedom and so much more content and more tools to make and trees and parts and you know it's just like i felt a lot of the time like i was just so goddamn prepared you know, in a way that, like, the first game didn't really allow me to feel. I also played this one on normal because I wanted to, like, just enjoy the game and not want to break it. Um, so I'm having a hard time being objective because I played um, 
The Last of Us recently on like a slightly harder difficulty because I am not a sadomasochist, and the, la- the Last of Us two I played on like normal. So on normal with all the tools, I don't really know if I can like. I had a fun time the whole time, like <laughs> playing the game. I could say that much, regardless of if it was harder or not. Right. Yeah, and I think for me, because I kind of did the same thing. I played because I was I was pretty sure when I first played the when i first played part one i was like i'm only gonna play this once and i want to have a good experience i want to have an experience that is the best experience for the game so i played it on hard um because i think it's like there's there's like easy medium hard grounded and like survivor or some shit like yeah i was the one above normal yeah same so i i did hard because it's like it still makes the uh, the supply is scarce for the most part, but you're not wanting to th- break your controller every single combat encounter. Um, and for this one, I decided to play it on moderate. I decided to play it on medium because I wanted to just appreciate the story. The and so we did. We did. We did. Me- <laughs> we didn't plan this. Um, but I really wanted to just focus on the story. And I found myself... Not just being more prepared for encounters, which I absolutely was, but I found myself getting more inventive with encounters. Like, all of the tools that you're, that are at your disposal that you, for the most part, with the exception of ammo, and even then, with certain exceptions, you can craft. Like, you just got a freedom to be like, okay, take the supplies that you find, craft what you can, and approach each situation as you would if you were in that situation and the ability and like you said the freedom to choose how you approach the situation there were moments uh in the game where i completely avoided combat because i was like i have limited resources here and i don't want to waste them because i'm sure something's gonna fucking come up so i used my resources to stealth my way past a couple occasions and it worked beautifully there were moments there was never a moment where i thought to myself this is too easy there were moments where i was like oh i utilized my shit really well to make that not as hard as it would have been because at at its core, it is going to be a different experience for every person, regardless of if we, since we played it on the exact same um, difficulty level, does not mean that we had the same experience. We approach, I'm sure we approach situations very differently. Sure and so, look different. <laughs> oh, definitely, definitely. Um, and I just love that there's that kind of um, that kind of freedom and that kind of personalization. When it comes to games like this, because you only really see that nowadays in those open world RPG games where it's like you can customize your character and you got these skill trees and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But a lot of times what ends up falling short in those games is story. And I think this is a near perfect blend of those two ideas. There's a whole open world aspect in these like the second chapter when you get downtown into Seattle. There are all these missable places that you do not have to go to to continue the story. But if you do, you get so much more out of the game. And And you get these little vignettes. Yes! When you you break into the the old bank and, like, you get into the vault and, like, you know, there's a guy who obviously killed himself holding a shotgun and, like, you know... That's where you get the shotgun for the first time. Yeah, Yeah, it's like... They're like, let's knock up a bank during a pandemic. (laughs) Like... 
<laughs> oh, I love the environmental storytelling. It's so good. There's so many missable things. Um, and I'm not even counting like the artifacts, the trading cards, all the collectibles. Um, even outside of that, like you said, going prone in this game is a game changer. Because when you go prone, your uh, your aim becomes stronger. And being able to move, especially when you go through your skill tree and you level up the prone so that you move hella fast when you're in prone, I was like, I'm playing Metal Gear Solid. Mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing Metal Gear Solid, and I love every single aspect of this. And it made me want another Metal Gear Solid game. I feel like there is this quality to the combat. There's this verisimilitude. Um, which nice wordage. Word nice wordage. Word. Yeah. Mm. Um, I've been waiting to say that in relation to this game. Well, but... well, well you can't always use Magnum Opus, so we, no, I... we have to... <laughs> If you, if you, listeners, if you remember from our, uh, our anime finale, that word was tossed around like a baseball. Like, <laughs> it's amazing. Guest, if I'm a guest on your podcast often enough, there's, someone's going to make a really mean list of the words. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> the first one's going to be sorry. Uh, but there's this verisimilitude to the combat that like, I lose myself to. And, um, you know, it, part, part of it is the fidelity of, you know, just the environments and the sounds and the, and the, and the realism that's like evocative of the whole world of every, every minor character. Like there are a lot of people online that are like, Oh my God, like, are you trying to make me feel guilty? The guy just shot's name is Jim. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I, it's just it's just realer. I mean, it's just like <laughs> if there were five people in a forest and you shot one in the head, someone would be like, Rebecca? You know what I mean? And they might be mad about that. Like, you know, like it's like, don't make the game too real. I want it to be real, but don't make the game too real. I I didn't feel like it was making a statement other than like, you know, but I just... Oh, no, I, I, I absolutely agree. Like, there's... It's totally arbitrary, giving names to NPCs. But it really does affect your experience with those encounters. Like, I'm, I'm currently, I would say, like, a third of the way through New Game Plus. I'm playing New Game Plus right now. And there's a moment where I was... I kicked ass in this, uh, in this combat encounter. Stealth killed almost everybody. And there's one person left. And she's like heading up these stairs and I am at the top of those stairs and I am ready to kill her because I left one of her buddy's bodies at the top of the stairs. So she would go straight there and she looks up and she's just like, Mike. And there's this pause and she's like, okay, guys, check in. And there's silence because I killed everyone. And she's like, okay, guys, this isn't funny. Like you need to check in right now. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I... I felt like I felt like I was in one of those slasher movies. And I mean, in a way, I did turn Ellie into Jason Voorhees, just a much smaller and more mobile Jason Voorhees. And <laughs> like it brings that, like you said, that um, that realism, that moment of like when you are in there, you feel what is going on. And I and we talked about this, um, we texted back and forth. I was keeping tabs on Kanan while he was playing this game because I wanted to know how he felt when things happened. And yeah. we both like kind of agreed that there's a certain point like in combat where you kind of go into a tunnel vision and you are just reacting to things, how they're happening. And it's very like boom, 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 boom. It 
It is like dominoes. When you kill somebody, somebody hears it. They go over there. They're like, oh, shit, like someone's here. We got to scan this entire floor. You're like, shit, shit, shit. I got to move upstairs. All of those moments feel incredibly real and feel incredibly smooth. Um, the array, just the variety of weapons that you get in this game, outclasses the first game in every single way. There are things that you get to craft. I am a big uh, bow and arrow guy. I don't know about you. I'm a big bow and arrow guy. My main I weapons... Played, I played the first, like, four hours of that game, like, when are you giving me the bow? Yeah. <laughs> I just want the bow! They were like, how about a silencer for your pistol? I'm like, okay, that'll do for now, but I just really want my bow. <laughs> well, and I was one of those people, like, who, when you get the bow for the first time in the first game, I was like, this is a game changer. Because I can pick <laughs> up these arrows. And I, and I rarely used another weapon after that. And for this game, I was just like you. I was like, give me the bow. I want the bow. Give me the bow. I want the bow. And when you get the bow, you're like, okay, cool. And then it unlocks something in your skill trees called explosive arrows. And I'm like, oh what? God. Excuse me? And I and I posted this up on uh, Twitter. This exchange, you find this bloater in, um, in Seattle. You drop down into this arcade. This bloater has already killed this guy. And I had just uh, acquired that explosive arrow upgrade. And I had enough... Uh, stuff to craft one explosive arrow and i remember dropping down into that and just instinctively just like on reflex explosive arrow boom just sends shit flying everywhere and then two more shotgun shells and he was done and i was like this was one of the greatest experiences i've ever had playing this game because you don't like and through, um, just last night, again, I was playing uh, New Game Plus, and I was, uh, I don't know if you remember the TV station, when uh, after you find all the bodies, you're trying to exit, and that group of wolves comes through the entrance. They're like, holy shit, there's bodies here, we gotta scan. Same exact feeling, because I was posted up on the second floor, that group came in, and in a split-second decision, I was like, explosive arrow. And I... Leaned back, sent an explosive arrow, killed that entire group. I bypassed an entire combat stealth encounter because I decided to use an explosive arrow. Now, you won't have that in your first playthrough. But in New Game Plus, all bets are off. Um, but again, it just it speaks to the variety and the, um, the personalization that you can have in building your Ellie and later on your Abby. You can build up these characters how you see fit. And it allows you to approach things so differently. Like, there are certain fights that I will probably say were super difficult for me that you probably breezed through and vice versa. And I love that aspect to a game that is otherwise very linear. Like, we can't say the same thing and all respect to these games. You can't say the same thing about Uncharted, also a Naughty Dog game. You will, for the most part, have the exact same experience as everyone else because that game is built in a, in a certain linear way. For this, you can see how much Naughty Dog has grown since those games, and even since some of their most recent games, like Uncharted 4, which I would argue gave you a lot more variety in what you could do. This game was so far ahead of that in the ability well, to... there's so many mini sandboxes mm -hmm. to, like, participate in. It's not, you know, it's it, it might still move in a linear fashion, but, like, it... It branches out 
you know, in enough spaces that it feels like, okay, for this five minute period, this is my domain. And this is where I'm, you know what I mean? That I'm getting all my stuff done. And you can choose how you interact with that. Like there are a couple uh, encounters in this game where you are in an enclosed space, again, like a small sandbox. You've got clickers and infected, and then you've got soldiers coming in. And you can either try and maneuver your way through all of these things or kill the clickers one by one and then go after the soldiers or vice versa. Or you can do what I did with every one of those situations and you threw a bottle at the soldiers to get the clickers to attract them. And then you sit in a corner and you wait for them to kill themselves. Like the amount of variety that you have for every encounter is so cool and it really... it encourages replayability because you can go back to encounters that you thought you got through, you know, as efficiently as possible and you can try a new tactic. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, my favorite part about the combat encounters is it seems like <clears throat> it is an impossibility, at least in my experience playing it to ever stay subtle for the whole time. And whereas the first game, a lot of the times I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not flexible enough to handle 18 people's aggro. I'm just going to restart the encounter. In The Last of Us 2, I was way more willing to commit to my mistakes because I was like, okay, they all know I'm here now, and what's going to happen? And, like, one of the most memorable experiences I had was right before you meet Jesse, you drop off into a point, and there's, like, some storefronts and, like, a house and stuff, and, um, you know, I stealthed for as long as I could, and then everything broke loose. And it was just like this... It was when the game first really was like, hi, this is disgusting. Like, this is brutal <laughs> in a way that, like, Doom Eternal can't be because this is like, you know, like, uh, they're... Okay, sorry. I'm Now I'm scrambling because I'm just so excited. Like, uh, and it's weird to talk about it because it just sounds so fucked up. Like when you're having it like, oh, well, I blew up a dog and then I ran, you know, but <laughs> I was sprinting for my life and they all knew I was there and I came across somebody and I didn't have a melee weapon, but I'd instinctively started like, you know, and when you attack someone with LA switchblade, like you're just like, it's just a desperately slashing. Just, yeah. And I was like, oh my God. And then when that was done, I broke off and, you know, I saw a little hill with a big patch of grass and I was like, oh my God. And I like belly dived into it and was able to like stealth and somebody came around the corner and started investigating. And when they were like an, a foot away from me and I was looking up, I popped them and I ran into the house and I ran upstairs and everyone's screaming and running for me. And I burst through a room and someone was like just unprepared enough for me that I managed to dash across the room and stab them. And then I threw a Molotov at the door and I hid under the bed. And like, this was the first time I realized people can pull you out. <laughs> under and so this guy came in and he was like i see you and he pulled me out and like i felt so desperately vulnerable and i was just so scared and he started coming after me and he's slamming me against the ground and i'm pressing the prompt to get him off and i knock him off and i aim with my shotgun and i shoot and i miss him entirely and he aims with his shotgun and he misses entirely so i just charge him again and over the windowsill leading out onto the roof like i just you know, I started stabbing him, much like somebody earlier. Except all the animations were different now, and Alex pushing him 
half his body over while she's just violently stabbing him in the chest. And it was just like, and when it was all done, like you said, the tunnel vision, like I went through to go loot everything. It was just like, I don't remember any of these people, you know, and how that I feel like almost supports the game narratively in a systematic way that, you know, you can't get with a cut scene, you know, because I would imagine, I don't know what it's like to fight 14 people in some animals in a quarter mile radius. But, you know, when your life is on the line, I imagine that once it's done, you're like, oh, hey, I'm covered in blood. Like, what are you? Well, let me let me tell you, as someone who has experienced that in my day to day life, um, just living in Los Angeles, it is a visceral experience when you have to fight 14 people and their pets. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i can hold it together um but no i absolutely and the funny thing is like as you're describing this encounter to me i'm like i know what map he's talking about it's in hillcrest it's on day two like you're moving towards this and i know exactly what you're talking about because those moments and i am a restart encounter kind of guy where i'm like fuck got seen start this over but this game like especially just the way that you described it is so like action packed and running and quick. And it like, you're describing this to me and I'm like, Oh yeah, go get them. Like, I hope you survive. But like, it is nothing to just explain it when it comes to you actually experiencing it. Because I had moments just like that. Um, I remember we were going through, it was also on day two. I'm going through this, uh, like central park esque area for the first time. And this was the very first time that the game actually like made me jump out of my seat because I'm going through, it's nighttime. I'm going through this little foresty area and I hear this like, and I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I'm like moving towards and I hear more whistles and I'm like, what is going on? Funk, just arrow right in your shoulder. And I jumped. I jumped out of the chair. I was like, oh my God. Like I was so unprepared. And this game does that to you, but not just, it wasn't just the, um, it wasn't just the aspect of, oh, cool. It's a jump scare whatever. It was one of those things where I thought in that moment, I'm like, you idiot. You should have used your, hear it, your, um, uh, your, hearing vision your listen mode yeah you should have used the listen mode as soon as you heard the whistling you idiot you should have been more careful why weren't you stealthing why weren't you crouching and for me i was like oh it gets you in this mindset of really like living through that experience and it's so cool and the gameplay works beautifully to blend that experience for you so as we have do you have any final thoughts on the gameplay anything that stands out to you whether it's like a weapon or a traversal or a specific level um my god um i just a shout out to the weapons bench um yes (laughs) (laughs) because everything just you know it just it um it, it god it looks Oh, just the whole game. Just, I mean, the whole game looks so beautiful, but like the weapons bench when you're like jerry rigging and adding stuff to your guns and everything like that. It's, um, boy, that's, uh, 
I wish I had something more profound to say for a final thought about the gameplay, but it just didn't get mentioned. No, no, I, I absolutely agree. And that's something that the developers talked about, like specifically paying attention to, was like making sure that all of the mods that you made were actual visual experiences of Ellie and later Abby, like putting their stuff on. Um, if I have a last thing to talk about, I just like the, I also really appreciate the difference in play styles when it comes to Ellie versus Abby. Um, oh, yeah. If you haven't guessed yet, there are two playable characters in this game. Three if you count the prologue. Um, and, like, the two of them having not only different um, uh, animations, but also different skill trees, different weapons that they have. Uh, Abby gets a flamethrower at one point, and I love it so much. Um, it's really, I love having the two different experiences for it. Um, even, as, even as simple and arbitrary as saying Ellie gets a bow and arrow, Abby gets a crossbow. Two completely different weapons in how you use them. It was so cool to be able to, um, and this, I, I'm having trouble wording it. It's, it's so cool to play through an encounter having played through Ellie and realize those tactics don't fucking work. Because you're Abby, and you are different, and you're going up against different people with different tactics. And I thought that was just super well done. I I definitely, you know, you play differently with each character, and it's not just, you know, like, you know, on and off switch, like, decisions made. But, like, you know, there's almost a story being told in, like, the trees that they have and what abilities that they can unlock. The sort of stuff that Abby just already knows you know or the things that ellie has that abby doesn't like in terms of like you know it was have it using shivs again you know what I mean? yeah like, that was a culture shock to... for me oh yeah i was like oh back in my day we had shivs like <laughs> <clears throat> they just they feel different and like even though that i mean there's probably more in common between playing as the characters than there are like intrinsic differences you know i mean it's not like they run different or you know what i mean it's just the things that they they know but like you know i felt as abby like i felt way more you know i was like oh ho, 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 let me show you <laughs> who needs stealth man like you know like it, i just i felt more confident playing as one character versus the other like absolutely agree like with ellie i definitely took more of a stealth based approach but with abby i felt more comfortable like running and gunning with her cuz i'm like she can take it and it was just i i love the attention to detail when it comes to gameplay especially when it um when they took the time to not just make Abby a larger reskin of Ellie when it comes to their gameplay. Yeah. It was really, really well done, and it makes it two distinctly different experiences when you're playing as both of them. So now that we've talked about gameplay, let's talk about some story spoilers. That's that's what we've, we've come here to talk about. Um, just what a story, man. What a story. Is there anywhere you want to start? Cuz we can go, um, we can literally go anywhere. Start anywhere and anywhere. Oh my god, that's <laughs> that's a lot. I'm 
Well, let, let's I let's start with the big. Should we start with the big thing? Yeah, we'll start with the big, big thing. thing. Uh, the basically the choice that you can ride horses in this game. So like that yeah. that a lot of people had a lot of things to say about riding horses, and I think that with the amount of division when it comes to oh is the horse riding you know realistic or not, I think the debate that's been raging on IGN through mostly comments um, is more or less like a a difference in taste and difference of breed. Like with certain horses right. that you ride with Ellie versus the horses or the lack of with Abby, the horse breed really goes into really what this game is about in general. And I think I yeah. <laughs> there's a larger metaphor to unpack there, especially considering that I feel like there are less horse riding opportunities in The Last of Us 2, even though it would appear that there are more horses in general. <laughs> um, I really wish they had unpacked the lore of of horse riding and uh taming in a post-apocalyptic because we haven't seen that story how do you train a horse in the apocalypse eric we just we're just gonna skip right over that detail are you kidding me how about unrealistic expectations i'm mad and i'm going to threaten people that made this game i'm crying Oh God! Oh man! I this is this is one of the things I love about you is that we will just go <laughs> off and you will follow. You will not break from the bit, and you will just yes and all the way through until the end. I do it all for the bit. <laughs> it's my whole life. But um, seriously, like the big spoiler, I guess the thing that. Um, really set the internet on fire was uh the death of joel how did you feel about that that was one of those big scenes that even though i think in the back of my mind i knew was going to come eventually i did not expect it to happen when it did so i've always um expected uh, this still got me by surprise but i have <laughs> i've expected from you know its announcement that we were going to tackle you know the shadow of joel in this game and that he was going to have some kind of comeuppance because, you know, as is, uh, as is known by the end of the first game, Joel isn't the sort of person that just makes unilaterally good decisions that, you know, Joel doesn't have a wide Joel... friend group. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, you know, when a bunch of strangers came looking for him, you know, that first conversation Abby and Owen have, mm -hmm. you know, where they're looking for someone. I'm like, oh, that's Joel. It's definitely Joel, you yeah. Know? I'd say, like, you know, oh, my God, just, like, I, and I, like, when you're playing as Abby, you know, and there's that, that section where you're running away from infected, and oh, my God, like, it's just so good. And you still have no idea, like, who is it that I'm playing as? What? What? Who am I? Who's Abby? What is she doing here? Um, but like you, you, you're, you're about to get eaten and bam, somebody intervenes and saves you and it's Joel. And from that precise moment, I was like, Oh no, Joel, <laughs> Joel, Joel, you don't know what's happening. And, uh, I mean, the first moment that I truly felt, and this is the first moment over a bevy of moments where I just tensed up my entire body, was following that when Abby leads them back to the mansion. 
And they're, you know, just having pleasantries. They're like, oh, you know, we live down the road. You guys should come in or you guys should come and uh, restock before you go. And I'm like, okay, we know, like, I think I know that they're here for Joel, but maybe they're here from somebody else. We don't know that for sure. They never explicitly said Joel. But there's this moment where uh, Tommy is just like, I'm Tommy, this is my brother Joel, and all the people in the room stop, and they look up. And I do not remember the last time where I felt so fucking tense in a game. And I'm like, no. Oh, no. Because they were surrounded. And Joel just goes, you guys look like you've heard of us. And you hear Abby go, it's because they have. And boom! Shotgun to his knee. I just... I was like, not like this. Like, oh God. Not like this. Not this. I, it blew me away. I was like, oh, we're doing this now. And then when Ellie shows up, and by the time that she gets to the room, Joel has been just beaten halfway to hell with this uh, golf club. Um, there's a great moment in that initial scene where. Uh, Joel's like, just say say your speech and get it over with. And Abby's like, you don't get to rush this. And by the time you get there, you see that Abby has taken liberties with Joel's face with that golf club. And it is brutal to watch that. Even in New Game Plus, watching that scene again did not lessen the impact or the tension in that scene. I, mean, I just kept expecting, you know, I, I thought he'd get a comeuppance, but like... Even during all of that, I was like, oh, Ellie's going to find a way, or Joel's going to find a way, or Tommy's going to find a way, or, like, a bird's going to fly through the... Like, I don't know. Like, I just kept expecting, like... Something. Something to happen at the last moment, but there was no deus ex machina. Joel got killed, and Ellie swore her vengeance, and, you know, uh, watching watching a video today about the, the two games... Um, something that that noah put up in his video you know about about joel's death and like the controversy that is inspired is like i think the direction that the game is trying to go in is like you know you're take to take that fury over joel's death and to then play as ellie with it you know what i mean i don't know who the hell this chick is who just showed up to town and killed my goddamn father figure and all of this but i you know what i mean like i'm gonna and and we never got our chance to to talk or repair our relationship and the last time we saw each other was the result of a of a fight that's probably like five years in the making and like you know all of that and a lot of people took that fury and instead of then playing the game with it because it was causing them an emotional reaction just decided to get mad at the game for doing that for telling that story and it's i don't feel like it was for shock value especially when it's like i don't know how who else could possibly want to come out and kill joel you know what i mean how many other people are probably sucking on a cola revenge somewhere hope wishing they had the ability to plan something like that out like i mean yeah and i mean ellie makes it pretty clear when she's first getting to uh seattle with dina and she's like there are so many people that joel crossed there are so many people that would love nothing more than to get their get their revenge on him and for me i was really like I, I'm pretty sure these are the Fireflies, but I don't know for sure what the 
what the whole thing is. And when the game starts off, the game starts off with Joel essentially recounting the events of the first game with Tommy. And, um, you know, him busting into the operating room. Uh, one of those things, and I talked to uh, Chris and Jess over on their on their podcast, Scripts and Screams, uh, shout out to them, uh, that I'm dumb. And when I saw that, I was like, oh man, like this is a brutal, like this is just, he's telling the story to Tommy. And they, because they are excellent screenwriters and directors and producers, um, were like, oh, we're going to come back to this. There's a reason they're showing this again. And I just blitzed right on past that. I didn't take that at all. So, (laughs) So when you come to find out that the reason that Abby, you know, takes this trip from Seattle all the way down to Jackson um, is because the surgeon that you killed was her dad. And they do such a great job framing this because, you know, up to this point in the game, I think it's like halfway through, um, you were doing these flashbacks with Ellie and Joel, kind of fleshing out their relationship over the past four years and all that stuff. And this is the first big flashback that you go with Abby. And you meet her dad, who is the greatest dork dad. He is like your stereotypical, like, middle-aged white dork dad who is just a lover of animals and is a doctor and he's just making dad jokes and commenting on Abby's love life. And... They did a great job, like, personalizing him and making him, like, feel real. And then it slowly starts to wind the clock up, where it's like, oh, man, we got to get back to St. Mary's Hospital. Like, she's there. Like, we got her. And then, you know, you have the cutscene where uh, she's talking to her dad, and her dad's talking to Marlene, um, who I was more excited to see than I thought I would be. I was like, ah, it's Marlene. That's awesome. Uh, Even though she died. And then especially when there's that moment where, like, oh, uh, he's like, you're going to go tell him? And she's like, he took her from here to hell. Like, he deserves to know. And she said that, and I'm like, (laughs) well, and maybe he doesn't deserve to know. Well, and then you find out that this guy was directly responsible for, um, for convincing Marlene to to put Ellie through the procedure because Marlene is basically like, no, initially. And the guy's like, you know, think of how many lives we could save. This could all be worth it for all the horrible things we've done. And Marlene's like, what if it was your daughter? And he doesn't have an answer. And Marlene's like, you know what? Fine. We're going to do this. We're going to go through this. And then Abby comes in and she basically tells him like, if it was me, I would tell you to do the procedure. And for me, it was one of those things where like, I, once again, and I'm going to preface this once again, I'm dumb and I don't like, I don't like to throw myself ahead of the storytelling. So I'm watching this and I'm like, oh man, like he's heading the procedure, like what's going to happen there? And when we get to the point when, you know, Abby is like running through that hallway, the alarms are blaring. I was like, okay, Joel's been here. What's going on? The door opens and I'm like, oh, oh. Her dad was the surgeon that we as Joel, but not just Joel, we as the player chose to shiv in the neck to save Ellie. And for me, as, you know, in just my one personal uh, experience with that, I felt incredible guilt. 
because I chose to kill this guy. I chose, and I've never, I've never explored if there's an option to like not kill him or whatever. I know you don't have to kill the other two uh, surgeons that are in the room, but making it this moment where like you as the player killed this person and you set off this chain of events that results in Jill being killed. It was incredibly personal to me, and it really made me recontextualize not just um, the first game, but Abby in general. Right, and I think there's a lot of... Because um, I don't ever really feel like... Cause, okay, sorry. I'm That's okay. That's okay. Directions. There is... The word guilt... Um, you know, it gets brought up a lot in relation to this game. And I think particularly um, how the developers of the game are trying to make you, the player, feel. And there's a lot of this uh, outcry, I feel like, where they're like, well, they're just trying to make me feel bad and shitty for playing their game. And I don't think it's about guilt so much as it is about empathy and perspective. Because what I think is so, like... <laughs> migraine inducing about that moment is when you think about it in juxtaposition to what you were doing in the first game you know like you enter that room and there's ellie and there's the surgeon who's like mouthing off and making deep and devouted uh statements about the future of humanity and it's like yeah 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 no <laughs> you know like you come in there and that man stands in front of you you know like that is that's not a person in that moment, in that moment, that is for Joel, for us playing as Joel is just another obstacle that costs hardly any effort to to get out of the way because, you know, he's that surgeon's not a person, not to Joel, not in that moment. The only person in this whole building to Joel anymore is a person who's in that bed and to come back seven years later in the sequel and like, oh, no, like these are like people life is life and whether you end it for a good or a bad reason it's still life that still is a person that still was a living thing with a name and a family and loved ones and stuff like that and like that's i mean and people die all the time but you know there is there is this this cord of humanity throughout the game that is like much more than just the fidelity of everything but literally just like Man, this is a story. Yeah, no, and I, I have, I have I, one of the things that really kind of recontextualized things for me, uh, I heard somebody say that in this game, Ellie's story begins where Abby's ends. And it's like, basically, you play the entire first half of Ellie's story going after someone who killed your father to justify Abby's endpoint at the beginning of this game. So you are playing Abby's mission, but just in a much more abbreviated time. Abby spent four years essentially trying to do what you do over the course of three days in Seattle. And it's so interesting to me, um, those parallels. And there are many parallels between Abby and Ellie throughout this game. Um, but Ellie's... Which is like, real quick, I just, I can't stand anyone that doesn't like... Abby Abby's fantastic. Like Abby's an incredible they character. Don't think, Let's get into oh, it. Let's get into it. One of the videos that made me so mad. One of the videos that made me so mad today about it was like, you know, how they 
this this person whose opinion I respect about video games a lot, but just really left me like crushed after their video on The Last of Us Two. You know, like basically like. Oh, well, we get it. We get that Abby's revenge is, you know, justified. We just need that little flashback. And then I want to get back to the theater because I don't want... What are these three days as Abby for? You know what I mean? Like, it was very much like... Like, it was all just superfluous. And, like, you know, it was just them being like, Oh, my God. Do you see what the cost of revenge is? Feel shame. Here's the shame stick. Feel shame. Feel shame for six hours playing as this other character. Like... Like, I don't know, like, Abby's story isn't worth hearing because... I, why? I played it, and I really am invested in her as a character. Absolutely. Like, I I will say that when I was playing through the game, and they made that switch, you know, Abby shows up at the theater, she fucking kills Jesse, broke my heart, because Jesse is, like, one of the few... I would say, like... 99% altruistic people in the entire game, in the entire world of The Last of Us. <laughs> Jesse is one of the few, like, honestly good people. Um, and, you know, Abby's like, you killed my friends. Like, we we, um, we spared your lives and you wasted it. Killer line. Incredibly well delivered. Oh, yeah. And then it just cuts. And you go to playing as Abby and it shows Seattle day one. I remember oh my God, sitting there and going, mind. no, no, I don't want to play this. I don't want to play this. Because I was in that mindset of like, I don't care oh. about Abby's perspective. I don't, she's the girl who killed right. Joel. She's the bad guy. Yes. Yeah. And so I was just like when I was going to the game for the first time, I was like, you need to justify making me play as Abby. And so it was more curiosity and indignation that made me play the latter half of the game. But I, over the course of those three days as Abby, I got so connected to that character, so connected to her story. I've said this before and I will say it again. I, my basic, like, no explanation needed uh, thoughts on this game are I am more invested in Ellie as a character I am more invested in Abby's story because the story across the three games at her backstory or the three days her backstory the whole thing is incredibly well done oh man it's definitely uh, on an objective level some of the best set pieces in the entire absolutely game. Like, they they drop you in as Abby, and once things start to cook, you're like, oh my god, like, there's so many interesting things happening. Because I feel like Abby's part of the story is, like, like you were saying, like, Abby is where, is kind of like where Ellie, um, sorry, how did you phrase it? Like, Abby is, like, reached the other side of what Ellie is experiencing yeah. now, right? And I feel like Abby's story is about her, like, okay... I've done the revenge thing. Where do I go from here? What am I here? Yeah. What, what am I supposed to invest myself in? Well, you know? and they talk, and you, you mentioned like one of the criticisms was like, Oh, feel shame for revenge and whatnot. And I think that, you know, that is one of the themes. It's like revenge is an empty venture. Like you've heard, I'm sure you've heard and plenty of people have heard the saying, like when you seek vengeance, dig two graves and it's like it's one of those things where it's Ooh, no i haven't oh, heard yeah. that one that's it's dude it's it's yeah 
It, it's a killer line, and it Sorry, makes and it, really, and it makes so line. so much sense in the context of this game, because regardless of what you do, your vengeance is not going to bring you satisfaction. Your vengeance is not going to bring you happiness, and the entire Abbey portion is learning, like, okay, who am I after I achieve my vengeance? Who am I after I get what I thought I wanted? And the answer is, I don't know. She doesn't know who she is. She's just filled with this emptiness that she doesn't know how to deal with. And watching her story build up over the course of those three games was I keep saying three games because it feels like it. Uh, the this three day um, saga that she goes through, and we get to learn about the infrastructure of the of the wolves. We get to learn about these characters that that I personally did not give two shits about beforehand. Um, meeting Manny, meeting Manny, who we meet spitting on Joel's dead body, uh, and then growing to really, really love Manny as this, like, this, just this guy who, like, has sex dens and, like, meets all these women, and it's just so interesting right. to me, like, you get to, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I just, I, I realized something. Um, and you could take this apart, and I'm sure it's more nuanced than this, but I think, like, uh, revenge is the most important thing to Ellie, and, like, I think by the time we hit, like, day two and a half, or, like, the, you know, like, basically once uh, we have Lev again, um, and, you know, uh, Abby goes back for them, um, that, that people, that the people in Abby's life are, like, just they're the most important mm -hmm. thing, you know? And, like, after that encounter with Manny, like, oh, my God, can we just take a moment, like, trying to get to that sniper? Oof. And, like, the whole confrontation and Manny getting shot and being like, who is this scar piece of shit? And then you finally fight it's him. Tommy. It's Tommy. Like, I remember, because I was, I was, like you said, I was very invested in Abby's story all the way through. And you get to day three. And you're like, okay, we got to get to the island to go after Lev. We don't have a boat. You know what does have boats? The marina. Let's go to the marina. And you get to the marina. And you're like, oh, la-di-da, there's the marina in the distance. And you almost get shot. And you have to duck behind cover. And you look over. And Manny's like, hey, what are you doing here? And, and it's just this moment. It's like, oh, Manny, what are you doing? And Manny's like, hey, we were coming over here for a patrol. And then my entire squad got shot. I'm the only one left. Fuck this guy. And I'm like, yeah, fuck this guy. And for me, maybe it's just because I am very linear when it comes to my experiences with storytelling. But I didn't connect the dots that earlier during Ellie's yeah. playthrough, they got on on day three. There's this radio where they hear, hey, there's a sniper at the marina, like he's fucking our people up. And Jesse's like, that's got to be Tommy. I'm going to go to the marina. And Ellie's like, no, I'm going to steal the boat and go to the aquarium because I can't help myself. She doesn't say those words. It's much better written in the game, trust me. Um, but I just didn't connect those dots. So, like, I get there, and first of all, again, I'm just like this scar piece of shit, even though... Scars have never used sniper rifles at any point in this entire game. And I'm thinking <laughs> right. to myself, like, oh, we gotta fucking get this guy. And that sniper section is one of the most frustrating sections of the game. Because not only are you having to duck, dip, 
dive, dodge, and dodge through all of these, like, sniper bullets, but you're also having to deal with this piece of shit sniper shooting the ground near you so infected run at you at the same time. So, like, when you finally get into the marina and you are within a stone's throw distance of him, you're like, I'm gonna kill this guy. I am going to rip his head off. And... He ducks into this area, and you're like, oh, there's a back door, and you try to get it open, you're like, oh, man, man, he's like, maybe we should just blah, and his head just explodes. And it was one of those moments just like when Jesse is killed by Abby, where I was like, holy shit, what? 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 And you are immediately just in the same exact headspace as Abby because you don't know what's happening. All you know is you have to get out of there. And she dives through the opening of the door and you're in a diner. And as soon as I got into that little cafe area, I had nom flashbacks to the diner boss fight in the first game between Abby and the lead oh uh, cannibal. And I was like... Ellie. Yes. Damn it. Um... That's going to happen more than once, I'm sure. I'm just, I'm correcting you so somebody no, on the internet No, they, they definitely will. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure in the split second that I said it, they're like, oh, Ellie, you mean. Um, but I, I remember diving in there and just getting those flashbacks, and I was like, no, no, I'm going to have to fight this scar again through this out, through this, like, cafe area. And I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I can go out that door and go outside and fucking get him from the outside. And then, like, Tommy just attacks you. And, like, again, like you said, mixed feelings. Because I'm like, wait, no, but that's Tommy. Wait a second, what? I don't want to fight Tommy. And it was just, it was incredible. And boom, he's over the ledge. And I feel like that moment is significant um, for both. As far as both characters are concerned, Ellie and Abby. You mean Abby? Like, you, you mean Abby Allie knows. and Abby? <laughs> okay. Guy. Um, but like you know, Abby has enough time to realize who that was, who she just whoop dropped over the water. Abby's a smart person. I doubt she's like, well, that's that. He's dead, right? But like, she is in the middle of trying to find the means to get out of here. Go save, go save Lev, yeah. That, yeah, right, they're mm-hmm. going to the island. That's what all of that was for, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, whereas, like, with Ellie, you know, um, Ellie is so blindsided by revenge that, you know, I feel like what you get out of her story the most in her three days in Seattle is just how many times Ellie had the opportunity to cash in her chips and walk away Absolutely. from the table. You know what I mean? How many times that she came across and did something ugly enough that she could have stepped back and she could have decided that this is not worth it. She was never going to make that decision because of a lot of bullshit, half of which isn't like, you know, it's not like she's the one who gave her those those um those issues as a human being. But like, you know, like um like when um when Demi is pregnant you know what I mean? Like that was that was a time to turn everything around. Well, and she even tell I mean? she even or tells like, Dina she's like, hey, like, if you had told me this, we would we would have turned around. We would have turned around and gone. Why do I keep saying Demi? Maybe you're on a big Demi Lovato kick. I don't know. I don't know. Dina, but like she it? says, like if I had known this, we would have turned around. Like you're you're a liability now, and like it's so interesting. Like the exact moment where I was like. Okay, maybe it's time to leave. Was uh, the hospital with Nora when she chases oh, yeah. Nora? And by the way, 
Nora, you know Ellie is here to kill you. Do not tell her to her face, yeah, that little bitch got what he deserved. Like, she's there to kill you. Like, you're not making your case. I figured that she was antagonizing her into act so she could... That makes sense. That makes sense. That that might have been the intent. But I was just like... Long term, though, I don't think that did... No, not at all. Because, like, when you get to the point where she's like, Hey, you've breathed in spores. I can either make this really long or really short for you. But you need to tell me where Abby is. And you get the prompt to torture this woman. And you start, like, beating her with this crowbar. And then all of a sudden it flashes and Ellie is, like, standing in front of the theater door and her hands are shaking. Because she's she's never tortured someone before. And it's just like, Ellie, what are you sacrificing? Like, how many compromises are you going to make? How, uh, how much are you going to blacken your soul to get some kind of resolution or some kind of revenge? And there are multiple moments just like you said where it's like it's time to cash in the chips time to go home jesse is like hey the the moment we just talked about jesse's like tommy's at the marina we can go get him and then we're going home but that means that some of these people are going to be left alive are you okay with that and ellie at face value is just like yeah i'm okay with that but at the moment that jesse's like okay he's at the marina let's go she's like no but like He's going after Abby, and Abby's at the aquarium. So if we go to the aquarium and we find Abby first, then we'll find Tommy. And Jesse's just like, what are you doing? Why are you making this so hard? Like, right. and it's one of those moments, like, across the game. There are moments where I was just like, Ellie, come on. No, you don't need to do this anymore. Ellie, like, let's just, it's time to go. And... Well, because we get further and further from from justifiable acts, because like the first time that she gets someone on her like kill bill list is, uh, you know, the guy that she slept yes. in the first place who tried to has kill the her killer back line then, where he's and... like, "How'd you find us?" She's like, "I just asked around for a guy with a bitch scar on his face," and I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fuck this guy." Oh my god! But like, you know, like in that situation, like it's a it's a killer mm-hmm. be killed thing. You know what I mean? So, like, who needs to spare a thought for him? And then the next person on our hit list, you know, is already dead because a bunch of scars killed her. And then we finally get to Nora. You know, and Nora is, you know, an enemy in enemy territory who is, you know, like, calling all the stops on to kill her. Like, everything leading up to that moment where she decides to jump with her Hmm. into the school. Because she's the only one that knows where Abby went. Yeah, Like, Ellie is always, like, up until this point, the people she's found have either been dead or, you know, have just as many means to kill her as she does them, you know? And Nora's the first time where she has someone in a corner. And, you know, like, a lot of people, um, from what I've heard, um, I don't know who all of these lots of people are, if there's even that many lots of people, but um, I've, I've heard that one of the complaints about the game are moments like that with Nora, where it feels like you have to be participatory, you know, it, to the violence. And my thought on that is, you know, I feel like overall, when they're writing this story and some of these really fucked up things happen in the script, I feel like they walk a very delicate and a very well-meaning line between what is overtly gratuitous and what is enough to convey the message. And this being one of those moments. Like, if I, if the control of the game was me controlling Ellie, controlling Ellie over her shoulder, 
beating her and watching it all happen in Technicolor for three minutes until she gave me an answer. Like, that would be vile. But the way that they do it, they switch the perspective. And it's not really about you piloting Ellie anymore. And each of those prompts, you know what I mean, to swing the the pipe again is another mm-hmm. decision. Like, at any point in time, Ellie could just put this down, could just walk away, could just stop. But she can't because she is she is haunted by the forgiveness she'll ever be able to give Joel. And the guilt of everything is just so overwhelming that the only thing she can do is go off in a murderous spree like her father figure would do. Even though this is probably not even, you know, if Joel could see her now, like I doubt this is what he would want for her. But that's the world that Joel... I mean, that's the world that they were born into, and that's the world that Joel has made, you know, f- for Ellie. Like, that's that's what she knows, you know? And so each of those strikes are an independent act of violence. And, like, when we cut away and we see Ellie shaking, like you were talking about, like, when she comes in that room and she just, like, opens up the map and she can't yeah. make eye contact Oof. with anybody, and she's just, like, she's here, like... And it just keeps getting worse until now, you know, this aquarium that like, I don't know about you, but I was like, well, how many motherfuckers are <laughs> Exa- in the aquarium? That's exactly right? how like, I felt. I was like, oh, this is the end of the game. That's, this is a short ass game. Okay. All right. Well, this, this is what it is. Um, and I remember yeah. coming up there because they sold it to you. Like, this is the end of the game. Like the boat section, getting out to the aquarium, your boat crashes, you climb into, you climb up to the island, it's lightning and thunder and rain, and you're like, okay, this is it. This is the final, like, and you drop into the aquarium, and it, you know, there are a couple open spaces that you're like, okay, this is going to be where the boss fight goes, this is where this is going to happen, and um, it is not what you expect it to be. And it's so interesting to me because once again, like, um, I think what you were saying made a lot of sense in the fact that it's this whole Seattle adventure that, um, that Ellie goes on is just explaining why Ellie isn't Joel. Like we see, you know, we see, I think it's on the first day where um, Tommy did the same thing that uh, Joel did to the uh, two cannibal guys to get information on where Abby is or where the TV station is or whatever. Um, and Ellie's like, oh, I remember Joel talking about this. And when uh, you show up at the aquarium, you're going down, you get attacked by this dog that at the time you don't have any personal connection to because you're Ellie, and you kill this dog in self-defense. And then you find these two people who were both there and did not stop Abby from killing Joel, you're like, okay, but I thought we, I thought Abby was here. Like, what's going on? And Ellie tries to be Joel. And she's like, you, you point on this map to me where Abby went. And if the two of you match up, like, this'll, you know, I'll, I'll be able to tell if you're telling the truth. And it just spirals out of control. It just spirals out of control and results in Ellie shooting Owen and then stabbing Mel. I think it's in the neck. And Ellie kills a pregnant woman. And it's one of those, like, sobering moments where you're like, what have you become? Like, what have you, again. What has any of this been? Yeah. 
And it's like, and Ellie recognizes it immediately when she pulls Mel's uh, coat back and realizes she's pregnant. Not that, like, just stabbing her in the neck would have been fine even if she wasn't pregnant. But, like, it's this moment where she's snuffed out, counting, you know, the dog Alice, four lives in this aquarium. And it's just this haunting moment where she's like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Like, what am I, what am I doing? You know, and I feel like, you know, Joel as a as a person in like the first game and the twenty years that took place between the opening of the first game and where we were at with Joel is like Joel has spent his life learning how to compartmentalize pain and suffering and loss. You know, <clears throat> and with Ellie, you know, she's the first person he ever seems to truly open up to there's a big difference between the first time his daughter comes up and he's like don't you fucking mention like you know what i mean versus like the last 20 minutes of the game where like you guys are exploring a bit and like joel has a conversation about his daughter Mm -hmm. you know but um but like when 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 sam and his brother died you know what i mean like ellie wants to have a dialogue about it and joel's like no like, we, we put it away and we move on. We put it away and we move on. The only thing that matters is surviving, you know? And this isn't as much about surviving as anything else was before. Because this is, you know, there was the the chance to just leave this all alone. You know what I mean? Like, Ellie is the one who is seeking out violence. It is not violence being done unto her in a vacuum. This was her mission, you know, to to go on. And it's just, you know, I just don't feel like she has the emotional toolkit um, available to to mourn or to or to, you know, feel bereavement or like she's just she is just tormented by her feelings and doesn't doesn't have anything to do with them except act in the way that she has learned to act in this world they all live in. Well, and I think, like, a big difference, and, like, it might be completely arbitrary, is the fact that, you know, in the, in the first game, in the first game, Joel is, I'm going to assume, mid to late 40s. He has had 20 years to adjust to this new world, has made some... Not some. He's made a lot of terrible choices for terrible people. Um, In this game, Ellie is 18. Ellie is 18 years old. And as someone who 18 years old is, you know, it's 10 years ago at this point, um, it feels so removed with not just, like, regardless of circumstance, like, the emotional maturity that it would take, um, the hard the hardship that she would have had to go through because not only did she not you know have those 20 years of experiencing the outbreak just ruin the entire world like joel did um she had a fairly like again under the circumstances normal upbringing in the qz before she was you know brought into the events of the first game and then she spent four more years her developing her most important years of development from 14 to 18 um living in jackson living this really nice structured life and so you see and again that even affected joel a large reason why these things happened to joel in this game is because he got soft 
Um, a lot of people were saying, you know, Joel would never do that. Joel would never, you know, just tell people who he is and invite people. But what I think a lot of people miss is like Joel has been out of the game for four years. He spent time with Tommy, him and, you know, he's been with Jackson for four years where he can finally like, <sighs> he can breathe and he can be part of a community and his entire, you know, perspective on life changed. And so the Joel in this game is not even the same Joel as the first game, much less Ellie, this Ellie being the same Joel as the first game. And so when that happens, when, you know, Ellie accidentally kills uh, Owen and Mel in quick succession, there's this moment where it's like, Ellie, you got it. Like, this is not, this life isn't for you. Like, this isn't your, like, this isn't the thing you should be focusing on. You should have left. And when we finally get to that kind of resolution moment where they're in the theater and we've got Jesse and Dina and Tommy and Ellie and they're all like, all right, it's going to be this many days back. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, so then we're going to, like, is Abby going to go after them in Jackson? Like, what's the deal there? And then Abby just ambushes them in the theater, knocks out uh, Tommy, kills Jesse. Um, it was jarring. And it felt like, honestly, like this was Ellie's comeuppance. And Abby even says, she's like, and I touched on this before, she's like, you killed my friends. Like, we let you live and you wasted it. And that leads into my favorite part of the game, which is the Ellie boss fight. Oh my god, dude. I loved I... that boss fight so much. And after playing, like, because... Uh, uh, like, I just... Uh, there's... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I honestly, like, after I, I adjusted to it, like, that the Abby half is, like just some of the best shit i mean it wouldn't be some of the best shit without playing like the first like seven or eight hours of the right. game so you know but like i just because stopping at that particular point and jumping back and seeing everything that's Ab abby's been up to and how generally she's not doing anything terrible and none of it like because i thought her three days might end up being like okay we we know Ellie's out here and we've got to hunt her down. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, spy versus spy-like. Ain't nothing in her story got a damn thing to do with Ellie until she comes back to that aquarium and lives, lives, finds that mm -hmm. map. And everything comes together. Well, and her so stuff like, is so... we finally get back to that... No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, when we finally get back to that scene and, like, Ellie is like, I know why you're here. It's me. Don't hurt my friends. I was like, oh, you motherfucker. So when we got to that boss fight, I was like... You were Team Abby. I was like, I'm not thinking... <laughs> yeah, I was Team Abby. Like, at least for... And if I was piloting Ellie, like, I would have been Team Ellie. Like, that's what's interesting about a video mm -hmm. game. But it was... I was Abby, and I didn't want to die, and fuck that bitch, is what I was thinking, you know, as, like, Abby must be, too. Because, like, I came... I made a plan. I came with my friends we took care of the issue. Nobody else died. You didn't die. And then you just come out like a one-man army for three days in Seattle and kill everyone to come and find me for... Because Ellie knows. Ellie knows from before she even really knows what it's all about. She knows Abby's got a damn good reason to have done what she does. And she doesn't care. Or at least, you know, it isn't enough to stop her from going on her vengeance kick because of a lot of deep, 
interconnected emotional and personal right. issues. But anyways, that boss fight, yeah, I was ready to kill. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I absolutely agree because Abby's <sighs> Abby's whole narrative is so much about the conflict between the wolves and the scars. Um, the WLF and the Seraphides, if you want to get technical. But, like, the entire story with her is not focused on Ellie whatsoever. They don't even know. She doesn't even know that Ellie's there until day three when she runs and she gets that confirmation of running into Tommy. And it's so interesting that they chose to go that route because the first day is all about her trying to find Owen. She ultimately finds Owen. She meets Levin Yara. Second day is about her connecting to Levin Yara and the two of them, like, re- or the three of them really coming into their own and really learning to be this weird, fucked up family dynamic. And just as a side note, I love Lev. Lev is an incredible character. Oh I love him so much. Oh, I would I, I would Lev. play an entirely other game with Abby and Lev, just the two of them palling around. Um, Dude, honestly, part of me is like, please, like, like That, that section me. felt so much like the first game because you took these yeah. two characters who had nothing in common with each other and put them together under strenuous circumstances and just watched them grow. See, and part of what made me frustrated watching the one video I mentioned that made me upset was the 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 guy discussing it was like, well, this isn't Joel and Ellie. You know what I mean? Like, you can't you can't expect to give me two characters and make me as emotionally invested in the relationship as Joel and Ellie, who we gave time over the entire course of a game, and you're like, you know, doing this to me now in just a few hours. And I just couldn't help but think I'm like, but they're they're not Joel and Ellie. They're two strangers that have come together under odd circumstances that otherwise wouldn't have anything to do with each other and that's it there is no joel and ellie dna in their relationship outside of like the basic oh, premise yeah yeah <laughs> but at the same time in and, in that same you know to counter that point like that's what fucking happened with joel and ellie like we didn't have this basis of them going into the first game we didn't know what their relationship was going to be but they took their time and they built that relationship in the exact same way that they did with abby and lev they took their time they built their relationship up and they made you care about them i think the one of the lines that like shook me to my core is after yara dies um you know um Abby is trying like like I know you need to grieve and I know this but is we the gotta worst move. thing that's ever happened we gotta keep moving and there's a moment where Lev lashes out and like those were your people and Abby grabs Lev by the shoulders and is like you're I my love people. that line so much. not care about anything else. You're my people you know what I mean? Wolves, scars I don't give a shit you know what I mean? I, like, I, I love oh, that man. line like it, so man. much. It sticks in my mind, that whole scene. Because, like, what ends up happening is, like, you go you go through these sky bridges, which is one of my favorite sequences, because Abby is afraid of heights. Oh and her and Lev going through this, um, this part, the two of them, like, reacting to it... Um, <laughs> the banter! The banter like, is so good! Oh. It, it, it's like, you know, when they're going down and they're doing the descent from the sky bridge and there are just troves of infected and abby is just like lev i'm so glad we took this route and lev's like but there are infected everywhere and abby's like no that's 
that's the joke that's whatever and they just (laughs) i love shit like that where they were learning about this stuff abby trying to teach lev what cool means like and he that's cold yeah he's like that's cold he's like no you mean cool like it just it's so good and then when they get you know they realize okay we got to figure this out isaac is going to be who is played incredibly by jeffrey wright um what that was jeffrey that was jeffrey wright get that fuck out so good like and they're like isaac is going to launch his attack on the scars in three days they say that the very beginning of abby's thing and you're like okay shit gotta keep that in the back of my mind i proceed to completely forget about it over the course of abby's whole playthrough and you're like at the end of or at you know middle of like day three they're like okay yara's patched up we're gonna take the boat we're gonna go to santa barbara and mel who i would say is is kind of a bitch um she's just like i'm not going if you're going to abby and i was like oh god mel let it go let it go but then again i mean abby did sleep with owen while mel was pregnant and there's layers to this there's layers and perspective is important um, it is an emotional onion of pain. Yes, this entire joy. game is what that is. Um, and so they go to the island to try and rescue Lev, because Lev um, wants to go save or talk to and try to get his mom to leave. And then as you're on your way to the island, you're like, oh yeah, there's an invasion happening. And you go through this whole experience on the island, um, finding Lev after his mom tried to kill him for being transgender. Like, it was so heavy and emotionally heavy and you finally get back to the aquarium and both of your friends are dead and you're like no like what the what happened here and abby starts to connect the dots lev hands her like you said the map and so they go to the they go to the theater and what ensues is my favorite boss fight in the entire franchise of the last of us across both games this is my favorite boss fight and i'm going to tell you why because it's perspective is incredibly important and when you are going through that whole thing as abby against ellie you realize just how fucked up it was that you were upgrading ellie this entire goddamn time there is a moment in the third phase and i've talked about this i talked about this on uh jess and chris's podcast um there's a moment in the third phase where you are like sneaking around you're trying to like one-up uh, Ellie throughout this incredibly well-made uh, stage, which is the back of a theater with all these props and stage and set pieces. Um, I'm slowly creeping up on her and I see her and I'm like, this bitch, I'm going to get her. I see her like I have so many times before in this game. Take off her backpack, set it down and start going through it. And I'm like, no. And she pulls out a trap mine and she sets it on the floor. And I'm like, God damn it. I upgraded those trap mines. (laughs) And it made me feel so angry at myself for upgrading Ellie to the point that this was going to be a problem. And I loved it. At that moment, I was like, I love this game. I love this game so much. And that boss fight is incredibly well-crafted. And the entire just, 
oh, it's so... I, I could talk about that boss fight for hours. But, like, at the conclusion of that, you finally, like, Abby finally catches up and, like, beats the holy hell out of Ellie. Like, breaks her arm, is, like, ready to kill her. Dina pops up out of nowhere and, like, stabs her. And then you take Dina and you are just bashing her face into the floor because Lev gets a well-placed oh. arrow into Dina's back. And you pick her up by the throat, you take a shiv, and Ellie says, don't, she's pregnant. And Ellie, and Abby turns around and goes, good. And she puts the shiv up to Dina's neck and Lev stops her. Like, that was the moment that I was like, (gasps) like, everything just tensed up and I didn't know what was going to happen. But Lev stops her and Lev, in so many words, basically reminds her that's not who you are anymore. You became something else. You became someone who has passed this point. You are not just a machine that you have built yourself up for four years. Because, make no mistake, Abby, from the moment that her dad was killed to the moment that she found Joel, turned herself into a Joel-killing machine over the course of four years. She went on a Batman-like journey shaping her body into the ultimate vessel to bring vengeance upon this man who wiped out their entire force. She had to build herself up. And there were so many, like, again, we talk about negative criticisms and all this stupid things. Um, So much like, (laughs) oh, body shaming. Like, oh, her body's so unrealistic. No woman could look like that. And it's like, (laughs) you idiot. You idiot. And it's like... God, a, a woman isn't able to manufacture muscle because why? Like- it was so it's so dumb. And it's like, first of all, like they based her whole body model off of a real person who is a bodybuilder. And like, it wouldn't make a lick of difference if this was a man. If this was a man, it would be like, oh yeah, totally they would do that. Totally they'd be able to create that. And it was Every like Every time somebody commented about unrealistic like body proportions, I just wanted to post a screen cap of like Gears of War, like Yeah. Like, what, it's like you're what are you only talking mad about? Because it's a woman and you won't admit that and it infuriates <laughs> me. <laughs> but she is like and I remember I was playing this, uh Sammy was watching me through most of playing this game and um i remember first time like playing with abby and she's got she's just wearing like a t-shirt and sammy goes abby's jacked and i'm like yeah dude her arms are ridiculous and she because she focused her entire life for four years on becoming a killing machine to take on the man who ruined her life and if that is not like Batman levels of dedication. Like, I don't know what is. <laughs> like, it is, it was incredible. And so yeah, she... You know, and... No, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just, you know, Mel Mel calls Abby a bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, when Yara, you know, is right there to be like, hey, like, I've known you for, like, eight hours, and you know what? Like, you've done well by me and my brother, and, like, yeah. I, I think you're great. You know, and so she, you know, Abby holds on to that. And when Lev says, like, this is, like, stop. <laughs> like, this is enough. Yeah. This is done. Like, you, ha- this you is haven't, over. you're not that person anymore. Like, you, yeah. you said. Sarah is in that room with them. Ugh. When Ugh. Lev makes that plea, you know, and this is her chance to make a, you know, to make a course of direction and to live her life differently 
past you know revenge you know past the all of this well and i think we're she does and i think we're going to get into this a uh, little bit when we talk about the conclusion of the game but this whole thing is predicated on the cycle of violence and like i'm gonna kill you then you're gonna kill me then i'm gonna kill you back and forth round and round we go and i think jesse makes a comment about that at one point in the in the gameplay dialogue and he you know regardless of anything else that has happened like if abby kills ellie here not only does that prove that she is a garbage person and that she hasn't moved past who she used to be she will continue into and will perpetuate that cycle of violence and so she makes the choice a choice that I honestly did not think she was going to make in the moment. I didn't think so either. Um, she says she spares Ellie for, and I and I don't think I have to stress this because I don't think people pay attention to it enough. She spares her for a second time over the course of this game, basically telling her like, "Don't come after us. If I see you again, I'm going to kill you." And she leaves with Lev, and I swear to God, I thought the game was over at that point. I was like. Yeah. We get this lesson, revenge doesn't solve anything, revenge doesn't change you, and that's it. Um, they go back to the farm, Ellie is able to, or they go back to Jackson, they end up getting a farm. Um, Dina's baby JJ is adorable and is a precious, precious potato. Um, and then we get this amazing little epilogue where Ellie is just settling into her life with Dina and JJ. Until Tommy comes and ruins that for her, showing up. And even before then, we have, you know, we have the post-traumatic stress when that when that uh, baby lamb knocks down the the shovel. Yeah. And, you know, like Ellie still can't find the, the space in her life to to start to move past it, get move past some of this stuff. And some of it probably will always be there you know that there isn't there is no solution there is no um absolution um for her in her mind other than one that is like some kind of violent karmic justice you know what i mean that she can't forgive joel anymore so the best thing she can do is avenge him with yeah. tommy i oh man well oh, and, man. and it's when... it's so heartbreaking because we know how good of a person tommy is we've seen him time and time again from the beginning of the first game where when they are trying to escape the infected and tommy's like go i will catch up with you to the moment that, you know, you find him again in Jackson, to the moment that he takes them in in Jackson, to the beginning of this game, where Joel tells him he bears his soul about the terrible shit that he did, and Tommy's like, I will take this to my grave for you. And to Ellie basically telling him, like, we need to go after Abby, and he's like, you don't know what you're walking into, you don't know what's going to happen, to him making that choice to go after her, to him losing... Basically everything. He loses his brother, loses his standing in Jackson. When he comes back, he loses his eye. He's lost by the time we catch up with him when he return when he comes to the farm. He's lost Maria. Um, he is spiraling and he is at the pit. He is at the bottom that he, he is at rock bottom. And he tells Ellie, I know where Abby is. And Dina is just like, You piece of shit. Why would you bring this here? Like, and he calls Ellie a coward. Yeah. Oh. When he said that, I was like, oh, I really wish you died in that. <laughs> I'm done being happy. You're still alive. I'm just fucking pissed now. 
Well, and it's so interesting that it mirrors that conversation that Ellie and Tommy have at the beginning of the game, where Ellie's like, we have to go after her. And Tommy's like, we we don't. We don't have to go after her. And Ellie, once again, like, I keep talking about these killer lines because there's so much good writing in this game, where Ellie's like, if, if it was you or me, Joel would be halfway to Seattle by now. And it's like, it's this guilt again that... Tommy receives holds and then puts back on to Ellie as she's starting to make a life for herself. And he's just like, I can't go. You have to go. And Ellie makes the choice. Dina tells her, if you go, I am not going to wait for you. And Ellie leaves anyway. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Um, which brings us to Santa Barbara. Um, Santa Barbara is heartbreaking in so many different ways. Uh, you see Abby and Lev having, like, really bonded, uh, for that short time. Then they get ambushed by the Rattlers after getting hope that Fireflies are gonna, are gathering on Catalina Island. And, um, I think it's genius bringing in the Rattlers here. Especially because up to this point, across both games, we've seen that no faction, group, whatever, is inherently bad. They have their reasons for doing the things they are yeah. doing. But the Rattlers are completely irredeemable. So you do not need to feel any remorse whatsoever for wiping them all Oh my god, Tommy, Bob is dead. I'm like, yeah. Good, and you're you, next. <laughs> I don't give a shit, you're Rattlers. You're the first objective group of people I'm allowed to kill and not feel a little bit bad about. Exactly. Like, when you show up as Ellie and you're getting there and you're moving through, you get that silent submachine gun. And you... Oh, man. Chef's kiss. Uh, You get to the resort and you see that they are enslaving people, making them... Basically turning that resort into a concentration camp. And when people try to escape, they kill them or whatever. They get infected. They chain them up. There is no greater joy than sneaking through the resort, unchaining the infected, and then just sitting in a corner and watching those infected wipe out the Rattlers. I I did that. There was one point where I did that. I unlocked the chain from, one of, from I think it was like two clickers, and I went and I hid back in a corner, and I got up, and I walked away from the screen, and I made myself something to eat, while hearing these clickers killing all these people in the background. And I came back, sat down, ate what I had made, picked up the controller, and everyone was gone. And I thought to myself, <laughs> good. It was just... Good. It was incredible. And like going through this resort, like you're hoping that they haven't killed Abby. But for a very different reason that Ellie is hoping they get, that they didn't kill Abby yet. Right. And like the further she goes on, you know, I mean like in Santa Barbara... Like, she's just, like, the toll keeps coming. And, like, when she gets, you know, caught up and she stabs into that tree. Yeah. Oh, and she's also come so far, like, not necessarily in a good way, but, like, you know, when she gets the upper hand on those rattlers, you know what I mean? And she's got the guy there and, like, he's like, I'll tell you, if you just, like, leave me alone. She's like, okay. And then he tells her. and Kills him anyway. Like. Like, Ellie is, like, so far down the bloody path that, like, now it's, like... She has become that Joel. She hasn't embodied that spirit of 
uh, Last of Us Part 1 Joel, where it's like nothing else matters except getting her revenge here. And just all the scraps and scrapes and, like, continued bleeding she does, like, throughout this, like, you know, because every time she's like, I'm finally going to find Abby. She's here, and no, she's not. She's somewhere else. And she's here, and no, she's somewhere else. While she's, like, bleeding, bleeding out. Bleeding yeah. all the time. Like, and she finally she finally gets to the end of that sequence and you are so like spent you've used everything like you are just like she's limping down this hallway to try to get to the beach because that's where he heard that she was there last and you find a field of crucifixions and it is harrowing it is haunting to walk through that area and i don't know if you did this but I was going through, trying to, like, see who is this, who is this. I walked by, and I saw someone who looked just like Abby. Blonde hair, side braid. Yeah, and I look up, and I put the flat, and I was like, finally, I found her. Put the flashlight up, it's not her. And I'm like, what? What? What's going on? And I turn around, and I get the triangle prompt. And I was like, wait, what? And the Abby you find... It is heartbreaking. They have shaped, they've shaved off most of her hair, her big musculature from earlier in the game. She's emaciated. She has been tortured. She has been brutalized. Probably a lot more other horrible things done to her. And it is heartbreaking seeing where she goes from, even just from the beginning of the Santa Barbara section to here. It's heartbreaking. Like, you cut her down, she cuts Lev down, and you're like, come on. Like, leave it alone. And... Because it almost feels like there's a moment where, like, you know, Ellie can almost see how ridiculous all of this is. Because it's like, it's not even coming back to the same Abby as before. You know what I mean? Like, this is an Abby that's been beaten down by the world as often as Ellie... More so, probably. Just like, yeah. Like, when she's holding that knife... And she decides to cut her down instead. And then it's just like, just stops making decisions. Because it's like, it's not like she's like, okay, I'm not going to kill you. But just like, kind of goes through like, like she doesn't know what to do except to just follow them. And Abby's like, hey, there's boats. And like, follows them. And like, when they split. As, as they're walking to the boats, I was like, oh man, just get in the boat. Just get in the boat and go. Because you see the boat. You see the boat from the opening title screen. And you're like... Ellie, just get in the boat and go home. Just go home to Dina. Go home. They both split off to the two boats. Abby gets Lev in the boat. Ellie sets her stuff in the boat. And there's this moment where she sits there and she thinks about it. Because she comes away with blood from her wound. And then, like, we just, like, get the the brief little flashback to Joel again. And then we're back to... And she turns around and she says, I can't let you leave. And it's like, no, Ellie, stop. Like, I remember, like, actually saying out loud to the screen, like, Ellie, let it go, please. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, stop. And Abby is in the same mindset. She's like, I'm not going to fight you. Like, I'm not, I'm done. And Ellie, in a, in a decision that feels very Joel-like, she makes a decision, and she becomes the villain in the scene by putting her switchblade to Lev's neck. She says, then I'm going to kill him. And I was like, no, Ellie, this isn't, this isn't you. Like, stop, please. 
and it's hard it's hard to watch that whole last uh i don't even want to call it a boss fight this last like uh combat encounter is heartbreaking to go through what was your uh what was your experience with it like I mean, it was, I was just, I was so relieved. Ellie went over to the boat and I was like, this can be done. This can be over now. And it's just, you know, the, the flash of pain and memory and guilt and loss and just everything coming back again. You know what I mean? Like she's like Ellie, you know, her revenge at this point is like almost like a passive choice like it doesn't feel entirely like ellie is really here for it it just you know it feels like somewhere the soul has gone away and like she's just tired and just going through you know what i mean because ultimately you know if if ellie does kill abby she doesn't get anything for it you know well no she she does get one thing she continues the cycle of violence because you know when lev gets better he is going to hunt ellie down for killing abby and we're just gonna continue this cycle and when ellie has abby underneath the water and she's choking the life out of her um and she gets this momentary flash of joel with the guitar on the porch and she recognizes for maybe the first time in the since Jola died that this is a cycle this is a cycle and she decides to break the wheel and she lets abby go she doesn't give a big speech she doesn't forgive her she just says just go and you see abby struggle to her feet she gets in the boat they go off into the mist and ellie appropriately is left just sitting by herself in the water and then it cuts to back to the farm. Um, Ellie has lost two of her fingers because Abby bit them off. Um, and she walks up to the farmhouse and everything's gone. Dina left with JJ. And Ellie is left with nothing. Which, again, we talked about earlier, like, oh, you know, this game's trying to put a message on you. Like, first of all, that's never a bad thing for a game trying to tell you something. Every story is trying to tell you something. Right. There's there's always a message. But it's like this <laughs> the message is so is clear. Like you when you make compromises, when you sacrifice yourself to vengeance, you will not get anything out of it. You will not ultimately like there's there's a part of you that wishes when that sequence starts, when that epilogue starts, that Dina will be there, she'll welcome her back with open arms, knowing that everything's gone, but you kind of know that Dina left. You know that there's nothing there for her. She shoved all of Ellie's shit in a single room. And Ellie, bless her heart, she tries to play the guitar one last time. She tries to play the song that Joel showed her. And I don't know if you, um, I don't know if you got, like, all of the guitar moments. Did you do the one in the, uh, the music store? Yeah. One of my favorite moments in the game is that scene. Um, but you see that because of Ellie's choices, she can't even play guitar anymore. And it's heartbreaking. It is so heartbreaking. Um, but we do get one last scene with Joel and Ellie. And it reveals that um, <clears throat> they had one last uh, interaction before Joel died. And I love this scene so much. 
where Joel is playing guitar on the porch. And Ellie finally opens up to him. You know, we find out over the course of the game that Ellie finds out about um, Joel's lying to her and she breaks off their whole relationship. And that's what it's been for the past couple of years. And she says to him, you know, I don't think I can ever forgive you, but I'd like to try. And Joel, again, played brilliantly by Troy Baker. This entire cast is phenomenal. Um, Joel just, you know, he chokes up. He's like, I'd like that. And it's it's heartbreaking because when at the end of the game no one won anything no one won anything and you see ellie put the guitar down and she goes to walk off into the distance and once again just like in the first game the ambiguity makes that ending so powerful because you don't know where she's going what is she gonna do is she i mean i hope certainly that she's not you know i mean is she just gonna come back and you know every time she feels guilty she's gonna go back out and try again you know what i mean like every time the pain goes to be too much i because i'm i'm a hopeful person like i like to believe that she went back to jackson to try and repair things with dina but we don't know we don't know what happened i think she just picks a direction and maybe she she just walks until the she, she just she dies, uh incredible like... hulk said just like going da 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 but like it's once again the ambiguity makes it so much more powerful as a story and then we get like a little tease that you know doesn't outright say but i love that the fog clears on the title screen when you boot the game back up after beating it and there's catalina island and it's implied that levin abbey made it which is all i needed for resolution for their story I loved it. <laughs> it's amazing. They didn't kill either character, and I felt completely crushed by the end. Still, absolutely, like, almost like it would have been a uh, would have been a blessing if like Ellie died, because it's what she's left with is just like not a life, mm -hmm. you know. And I'd like to think that someday she'll she'll find a way. She'll be able to play that guitar again. But I feel like it's a a metaphor for like how you know now i mean the only way back to normal for her is a long and arduous process of self-reflection and 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 to some degree misery in order to find herself anywhere close to where she used to be if that's even possible possible anymore you yeah. know and I, I feel like this story is you know it's you know, violence begets violence, revenge begets revenge. And like, really, the only thing that matters, especially in the apocalypse, is that human connection, you know, that that the comfort of people and having people in your life and continuing to fight for it no matter what, um, <clears throat> you know, and, uh, you know, the game's a great deal about empathy mm -hmm. you know and like it's one of my favorite moments in the game was uh as ellie i found a symbol for the rattlers she opened up her book and like wrote in it and i opened up her journal to read it and it's the symbol of the rattlers and it's like fireflies wolves uh scars like fuck all these groups <laughs> you know and it's just you know, and like I love the the subtle storytelling that we get, uh, the background information on the scars. Like I don't know about you, but I saw this painting of this woman for so long. I thought we'd meet her. I thought Same. she'd be like a main antagonist or something. I thought she would be uh, Yara and Lev's mom. They talked about her so much. Yeah. 
And no, she's dead and she's been dead for a long time. And like, that's what sparked the whole conflict in the first place. Yeah. And here you have Lev being like, no, like, you know, like quoting like their scripture and Abby being like, oh, wow, like that's really, that's nice. And Lev's like, yeah, you know, like we lost our leader and that's when all this shit started happening and people twisted her words and, you know, like made her message that of one of violence it's almost like a metaphor for religion yeah i know and people are like get your politics out of my (laughs) game and i'm like what is life but being political how do you tell us (laughs) how do you tell a story without being political life existence is political like i yeah should we not have stories about crazy death cults Is that the alternative? I don't want to live in that world. But like, you know, when the wolves, the wolves, you know, like having this great big society stadium together looked fantastic. Children in school and like also the bloody history of the wolves, like the archer. Remember that whole like subplot with all the notes? Yeah. Like and his daughter, like no one is truly good or truly evil, but like there's a lot of room for this mob mentality, this us versus them, this, you know, like a human existence in this, in this apocalypse will just continue to make themselves and amass themselves into groups to just kill other groups. Like, yeah, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, that whole scene, like on the scars Island is just like heartbreaking. Good God. What is any of this worth to who? Who wins? The person who has the most amount of people left when this is all over? You know what I mean? Like, did Isaac really have to go take everyone and kill all the scars? Was that, you know what I mean? How many children and died? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, how many, like, it's just, you know, at the end of the day, like, you just, you have to find a way to move on and to find peace within yourself and you know if you can't do that then you are just going to come up against it over and over and over again until either you're dead or you've learned a lesson far too late you know and do people think that this is a disservice to ellie and a disservice to joel like that our protagonists and the people that we care about can only be protagonists and be cared about if every action they take is justifiable, you know? And, like, I think people are mad that Abby exists because Abby is such a good foil for Ellie and that Abby knows and learns stuff throughout her part of the story that, you know, Ellie's still struggling to find when she's leaving the house for the last time. Yeah. You know, like... I get that this game makes it feel a lot of feelings. It just, I feel like personally, I wish people would investigate those feelings and what the story is shaping for them instead of like (laughs) graphically assaulting the writing staff and the actress that played this character on the internet. It's it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. Don't like a game. Sure. But like, they they need help. They need professional help because they obviously don't know how to handle their feelings or separate fiction from reality but overall any final thoughts on the game anything i think i think you did a pretty good job giving a giving a final statement on this how would you (laughs) how would you rate this game if you had to give it the geek explained arbitrary rating how many um 
let's see here. Uh, how, how many? How many coins? How many coins would you give this game? How many coins? Oh man, I. Oof! It's I. I mean, like, God. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's like this is hard for me. And I'll explain it this way. I beat the game and Gus came into my room and I was talking to him and I was like, man, that was one of the single greatest cinematic experiences of my life. Like, I love this game so much. And Gus is like, but you look so sad. <laughs> <laughs> like, in your body, and your face, and your words, like, you're just, you know, like, it's, I mean... It is one hell of a compelling story. It does not make you feel good, except for brief interludes where usually you're reminded quite soon that, oh no, that's, this isn't the world that we live in. Um, I think it pulls out the stops and is willing to surprise and subvert expectations in a way that the first game only does a couple of times. Like, I just, I feel like overall this was, I mean, this feels like the only sequel there could have been. And I think any other stories that you could have told other than this one would either be a not worth making a sequel for and just leaving the ambiguity of the first game or, you know, would have been boring. Like the things that people are mad about in this game. I'm just like, well, if we changed all of these things, like I feel like what you'd have left it would have been inauthentic. That's yeah boring i mean that's but i don't know that's how i felt about the last jedi and it's just a matter of time before somebody you know i loved the last jedi for feeling the way i do thank you that's my it's my favorite star wars movie next to empire strikes back and rogue one those are some of my favorites as well <laughs> i mean like arbitrarily i'll give it a a, a 10 out of 10 <laughs> I you know i just it feels weird, like, ah, yes, I'm this game that emotionally crippled me and made me lose myself. I give it a 10 out of 10. <laughs> like, the more pretentious answer for me is to be like, I don't think, I don't think you can rate it, but you know, I'm just going to give it a 10 out of 10 because it's a fucking good game. Yeah, I, I, I cannot disagree with you on any of your points. It is an incredible experience, one of the most visceral and real and raw experiences i've ever had playing a game um it's an it's an easy 10 out of 10 if i wanted to get like really like technical i would give it 485 out of five dollars that's how many coins i would give it but like that's a lot of coins it's a lot of coins especially if they're all pennies majority coin yeah um but like honestly it is a game that you should absolutely play and it's a game that you should absolutely experience for yourself because it's not i would say it's not just a game it is it is genuinely an experience in itself so canon thank you very much for coming on the show thank again you. i appreciate it it's been a little it's while it's really fun to get to talk to someone in a long form style about a game that i really enjoy and haven't had necessarily the delight of talking to somebody else who really enjoys the game for a length of time well and i think honestly it's getting to talk about it really just enhances the experience because you get to pick up on stuff that you maybe missed you get to share like those gameplay experiences that we were talking about like it's it's absolutely just an incredible game and i would uh, I would recommend it to every single person who loves games, loves stories, and loves to be emotionally destroyed. Yeah.
That's, you know, you get done with one visceral combat encounter and the game's like, hey, we're going to give you a break with a flashback. And I'm like, yay, is it going to be fun? And they're like, no, it's going to be emotionally visceral this time. Joel's going to gaslight you for 25 minutes and you're just going to have to put up with it. It's going to tell you you're not special because you're not able to be infected. And you're going to be like, well, that's some bullshit, but I don't know why yet. <laughs> I just, it's good it's a good game i think people in time will will regard this in higher esteem i think it's definitely really jarring i think it's a lot to put yourself through i had to take a couple of breaks until i was so close to the end i was just like and it's 4 30 in the morning hey so you know i think i think this is gonna age better with time more than anything i think more people will start to understand what the impact of this game is and you know why it deserves more respect than some people seem to be giving it right now this point in time yeah and i think after you know the the dust kind of settles and people really start to look at it as what it is and not what they had expecting for it they're gonna see that the game truly is just as the first game was a masterpiece I, I'm going to have to send you some videos. I'm going to have to send you stuff that you'll be like, ooh. And you'll be like, I agree. You'll be angry like me. It'll be great. Wonderful. Can't wait to be angry about this game all over again. It is time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And we are reviewing Doom Patrol Season 2, specifically Episode 5, entitled Finger Patrol. Now this is kind of rolling off of the huge uh, premiere of Doom Patrol last week, for us at least on the Geek Explained podcast, where I reviewed not one, not two, but four episodes for this season. All of them were fantastic, and this episode is no exception. Uh, it kicks off with a dream sequence between Vic and Ronnie, where um, we get to see Vic's giant laser cannon. I always love seeing... Um, this version of Cyborg with all of his, like, Cyborg accoutrements, where you get to see, like, his, you know, fairly, I would say, lower budget than, you know, you would see on a, um, on, like, Zack Snyder's Justice League, for example, um, use, utilizing a lot of the apocalyptic tech that we see him use in the comics, like the arm cannon and stuff like that. So, I really enjoyed it, but a lot of this episode uh, dealt with you know, Vic and dealing with uh, tr past trauma and how that affects our relationships with people. Um, Chief and Jane have a big arc across this episode where Jane and in... Uh, in relation baby doll uh, start to get affected by Chief's relationship with Dorothy. Um, I loved seeing Dorothy and baby doll playing together at first and then because you know they are children things went awry. Uh, but I have to give a special shout out to Diane Guerrero. She is such a freaking good actress. She plays Jane um, and she's incredible. She's just able to 
balance all of these different characters while also playing each of them very distinct from each other. It's just, it's amazing, and I love it so much. She is fantastic. Um, I do have to also mention the scene where Rita gives an audition in a, like, um, uh, what do they call those sections? The garden section of some, uh, like, Home Depot-esque store. Um, I really liked it. I liked how awkward it was. She was um, auditioning for this local director, and, you know, the audition didn't go well because she was having some uh, flashbacks due to the mental block being removed last episode. And um, I loved that at the end of the audition where the director was like, yeah, I've seen enough, and walks away. You know, all the mist comes down that you normally see in a... uh, in a garden section, but it represents, you know, the rain that comes down in those classic movies where, you know, the the actress really biffs her audition and you see the rain come down for dramatic effect. It's just the way that they are able to be so inventive with their cinematography, with their set design, with their um, with their everything with this show. It just impresses me every single week, and I love it so much. Uh, meanwhile, Larry goes to meet his family alongside Rita, and um, it seems really good for a little while, and then uh, we find out that his son betrays him. Um, After Larry confesses that he is gay to his son, uh, his son reveals that um, he called the government on him, and it's really, it's heartbreaking, because you see uh, Larry really trying to make good on all of the lost time with his family, and it just, it's ultimately for nothing. Um, The government agents show up, they try and fire on Larry, Larry uses the negative spirit, and um, in the crossfire, Larry's uh, grandson ends up getting killed. Or at least shot. We don't know if he dies for sure, but he is a bloody mess on the ground when the scene ends, so who knows. Um, The negative spirit ends up grabbing uh, Larry and Rita and whisking them to safety. And it's just, it's sad. It's really sad. Larry has been on a personal journey so far this season, and it's taken a sharp left turn for him and so i'm interested to see where they go with him next uh the most enjoyable part was uh the subplot about upgrades for cliff um i just i i love i love cyborg and robot man together so much uh we also got a signing from silas uh cyborg and uh Robot Man going to Silas to possibly give him some cyborg-esque upgrades, but unfortunately Silas is not willing to because he doesn't want to be seen as, um, as, uh, what's it called? Culpable? No, that's not the word. Um, he doesn't want to be held responsible for any of the stuff that ha- that the chief has done to uh, Cliff so far. Um, they also take a little side, little side track so that uh, Vic can go and make up with Ronnie, uh, which I I loved this. Okay, so we have seen before that Cliff is a mess, just at all times. Cliff is a total mess, and he has to deal with a lot of stuff. Um, but one thing he did not have to work very hard at when he was uh, when he was a man, uh, before he was a robot man, was the ladies. He never had trouble hooking up with people or getting people or getting women to sleep with him. And this great moment where Victor has this whole like thing, he knows what he's going to say, he's going to give them sandwiches, and Robot Man tosses the sandwiches out the car and he goes, just say this, 
I'm stupid, I fucked up, and I'm sorry. And Victor's like, okay. And you expect this to just bomb. But he goes and he says it to Ronnie, and Ronnie welcomes him back with open arms. And I just, I died. I died. Victor is just, he is so, uh, I'm glad we're getting more time with him. Because I really like his arc. I like the fact that he's trying to figure out where he fits into this world now that he recognizes his place in it is much more gray. Um, and his interactions with Cliff are fantastic. I would be remiss if I didn't mention Steel and Stone. Uh, Victor's, no, not Victor's, uh, Cliff's dream about the two of them being this like buddy cop, 70s duo. Um, it was fantastic. All of the wacky stuff where you see uh, Vic in like this 70s detective uh, garment with his like half afro and the two of them running after perps and just just the theme song. The theme song is incredible. Um, what is it? Uh, it's like uh, steel and stone getting things done. Steel and stone troubles all the run. I, I just I love it. I love it. I want it on a t-shirt. I need it so much. Um, it's so good. It's so good. But um, getting back to the complicated stuff, um, Dorothy and Baby Doll are more or less kind of battling for um, for Niles's attention, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Baby Doll is ultimately, you know, she's a child, and she is even less mature than Dorothy, and Dorothy is still dealing with all of the stuff that's going on with uh, being manipulated by the candle maker. And I, I'm getting a little, I don't know, I'm getting tired of Dorothy. Um, not her so much as a character, but just she's starting to become a little one note to me. I thought she was really great the first couple episodes, but um, I don't know. I don't know. I'll see. We'll see. We'll see how this new development um, affects her character and whatnot. But basically, uh, Dorothy and Baby Doll get into an altercation where Baby Doll accidentally kills one of uh, Dorothy's imaginary friends, and Dorothy is manipulated by the Candlemaker to make a wish. And she makes a wish. And that wish involves the Candlemaker invading the underground terrifying absolutely terrifying he is unstoppable he disarms hammerhead as well as i can't remember her name she's the one with who's just on fire all the time um human torch jane uh she the candle maker disarms both of them and then kills baby doll not incapacitates her not like traumatizes her straight up murders baby doll inside of the underground we've never seen this happen before we've heard of miranda um killing herself inside of the underground but we've never seen the ramifications so i'm really interested to see what they do with that and we're kind of left with that as the final image so overall great episode i just Doom Patrol Season 2. It's better and better and better. I love it so much. I think Sex Patrol is still my favorite because of how just ridiculous that episode is. Um, but this episode is super, super strong. So um, look forward to next week, uh, Episode 6. I cannot wait. I am. I think the episode's called Space Patrol, and we're going to be dealing with astronauts and going into space and all that. So we'll see. We'll see. It just keeps getting wackier, and I'm really, really digging it, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they come up with next week. But uh, for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's Comics Countdown. 
Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is a segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, Comixology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's comics, and we've got plenty of good comics to talk about this week, we got to talk about last week's comics for the Geeksplained Pick of the Week of last week. And I think to the surprise of no one, it was Deceased Dead Planet number one. Written by Tom Taylor with art by Trevor Harrison. This book is so freaking good. Um, everything that you love about the Deceased books, whether it's Deceased, Deceased Unkillables, or Deceased Hope at World's End, this book builds on that. I am so excited and they they left little little breadcrumbs for you if you read through the uh, the appropriate tie-ins that being unkillables and uh, hope at world's end so I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly what they do here but this book was so fantastic it's so great seeing Trevor Harrison's art on this again um, having Tom Taylor writing the main deceased crew is also great I love it so much and the final page reveal legitimately made me gasp i was not ready for it and i'm assuming that is going to happen a lot with this book so i cannot wait but that's last week let's talk about this week we got four books this week that i think you should definitely be picking up and we are going to start off with superman's pal jimmy olsen number 12 of 12 written by matt fraction with art by steve lieber uh this is it this is the final issue in the critically acclaimed uh, Jimmy Olsen Maxi Series by uh, Fraction and Lieber. I've been loving it. The book has been so good. It's gotten a little wandering at times, but as somewhat of an anthology book, it is something that um, can be forgiven. I think as a whole, if you read it cover to cover uh, altogether, it's going to be a much easier read than reading it from month to month. Um, but let's let's just go ahead and dive into this into this synopsis. Whoa! Is that what I think it is? If I'm reading this solicitation text correctly, we made it to issue 12! Mazel tov. Party time! If you see Matt and Steve at the next convention, go buy them a drink because I have no idea how we made it this far. No wait, I do! It's all thanks to you guys! In this final issue with the Daily Planet on the ropes, Jimmy learns something about it that'll change everything forever. So I'm really excited about this. I've been reading every issue and I've been really enjoying it. Uh, we got the reveal that Jimmy's brother has been uh, behind the attempts on his life. And so we are going to see exactly what happens uh, between the two of them in this issue. Next up, we have the big event book for... Um, for Marvel, at least for the summer, and that is Empire number one of six, written by Al Ewing and Dan Slott, with art by Valerio Shiti. Um, this is, like I said, the big, um, the big event for Marvel, uh, the Kree Empire under the, um, or is it the Skrulls? Either way. Um, all of them <laughs> have been united under Hulkling, and they are going to be waging war with the planet Earth. I haven't been picking up any of the uh, prelude stuff for this, but I got a big recommendation from uh, from Malcolm 
uh, our guest on the uh, 4th of July uh, Captain America episode that I love so much and hold near and dear to my heart. He gave me a recommendation. I've been kind of burnt out on Marvel events, but I I can't I can't lie. It looks good. It looks really interesting. Um, so I'll at least be picking up this first issue to see if it really hooks me. Um, and then we'll find out where we go from there. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Kree and the Skrulls have united under a new emperor, and their war fleet is on a collision course for our world. On the moon, the Avengers are ready to strike with the full power of Earth's mightiest heroes. Approaching from outer space, the Fantastic Four are seeking a diplomatic solution. If the two teams can't work together to save the day, things can only get worse. So yeah, we've basically got essentially three factions here. We've got the Skrull and Kree Empires, we've got the Fantastic Four, and we've got the Avengers. So we're going to see how they get along, or since this is going to be a six-issue event with tie-ins, how they're not going to get along. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a, apparently supposed to affect the entire Marvel Universe, so we're seeing tie-ins from X-Men, we're seeing tie-ins from Fantastic Four, we're seeing tie-ins all over the place. So I'm looking forward to seeing exactly what this event is really going to be about. Next up, we have Strange Adventures, number three of 12, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner. Um... Book's been really good so far. I've been really enjoying it. I like our two main leads, uh, Adam Strange and Mr. Terrific. It's it's going to be a ride. It's going to be a wild ride. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and dive into the synopsis, and we're going to get this rolling. Can Adam Strange handle the truth? After the cosmic adventurer was accused of murder and had his whole record as a soldier questioned, he turned to Batman for help clearing his name. But someone else was needed to ensure that the investigation would be truly impartial. Enter Mr. Terrific, the man for whom fair play is a credo to live by. Be careful what you wish for, Adam Strange, because your life is about to be turned upside down. This could be one of the greatest tests you've ever faced, like when you had to prove yourselves in Rand's gladiatorial arena. This adventure between two worlds continues, with Mitch Jarrods drawing the gritty Earth sequences and Doc Shaner showing us the splendor of Adam Strange's battles in outer space. So a big selling point for me on this book has always been um, Shaner and Jarrods. They're an awesome awesome artist team um, who are very different in their approaches when it comes to just looking at what their art is. Their art is very different. So I like how the two of them have worked together to craft this story along with Tom King. Uh, the book's been good so far. The first two issues I thought were really good. Uh, it's classic Tom King fare. If you don't like Tom King's writing, this isn't going to change your mind. But if you do like Tom King's previous works, like Mr. Miracle, Vision, etc., uh, I think you're going to have a good time with this. It's been really good, and I'm looking forward to seeing what this next issue brings. But the big book of the week, the book I think you absolutely should be picking up this week, is... Dark Knight's Death Metal, number two of six. Written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Capullo. The first issue came out swinging, uh, killing off, spoilers, I guess, killing off the Batman who laughs with uh, Wonder Woman and her chainsaw sword, utilizing the um, Lasso of Truth. We're going to see where this adventure goes. We also got um, the uh, introduction of 
Wally Manhattan, Wally West with Dr. Manhattan's abilities, who is going to be utilized in this book as well. Um, and we've seen teases. I don't remember if it was for this issue or the next issue that the JSA will be making appearances as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to this book. This book should be really good. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Get ready to scream. Wonder Woman roars across the horrifying dark multiverse landscape in the world's most demented monster truck, with Swamp Thing riding shotgun. The two arrive at the ghoulish cemetery base of Batman and his army of zombies, but can the former friends stand each other long enough to form a plan and take back the planet? Plus, what's Lobo doing in space? Don't miss the second chapter of The Wildest Ride in the DC Universe, from the epic team of writer Scott Snyder and artist Greg Capullo. So like I said, uh, first issue came out swinging. Uh, if you heard right, Batman has an army of zombies because he has um, taken possession of a Black Lantern ring. And it's just, it's going to get wilder from here. I can feel it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with this. The event has been... Um, like I said, there's only been one issue out, but they are definitely, this is supposed to be the gateway into what's next for the DC Universe, so we'll see exactly what happens there. And that wraps it up for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Superman's Pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 12 of 12, uh, Empire, number 1 of 6, Strange Adventures, number 3 of 12, and Dark Knight's Death Metal, number 2 of 6. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us here on the Geeksplain podcast, first of all, thank you very much for giving us a listen. And also, feel free to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Um, and also, please feel free to give us a rating and review. really helps us out, uh, gets our name out there on the algorithms, and uh, gets us into the orbit of listeners just like you and if you go on itunes or apple podcasts whatever it is and you give us a five star rating and review uh, i will read your review on the podcast i've already read the reviews for seafire nd and josh from panels to pixels so if you would like to join them feel free to leave that rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever they want to call it. Um, and let me know. Let me know what you thought about this week's episode, what you thought about all the things we talked about when it comes to The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Pod at Geeksplained, P-O-D. And you can shout at me how I am so wrong for liking Abby and her story and being so invested in her. Um... I just, overall, it was a great, great time talking with Kanan, so I want to thank him once again for coming on the show. He's fantastic, um, and it's always good connecting and being able to talk about stuff that we are passionate about. Um, next week, we're going to keep right on rolling on through um, lockdown and the Geeksplain quarantine saga. Uh, things here in California are... Interesting. Um, as I'm recording this, uh, Governor Newsom, I think his name is, Governor Newsom is rolling back even more um, lockdowns again and closing down businesses. So we're just having fun here, having a great time. Everything's great. Uh, also, feel free to send me emails, because I'm an old man and I still read emails, to geeksplained at gmail.com to be part of our Geeksplained mailbag. Uh, we've had some questions here. I would love to answer more questions if you have any burning questions for me, whether it's related to comics, uh, video games, TV, whatever you want, and you 
need me to answer it, please send those over and I will love to read them on this podcast. But that is going to do it for this week. Make sure to tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Geek Explain podcast. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe and we will see you next time.
I still haven't stopped my Audacity recording. Whoops!